Hello guys, uh, my very first podcast and uh, first guest is ex-Ignor Rugby International, over 200 caps with Bath, European Challenge Cup winner, Premiership winner, British champion Jiu-Jitsu, Duncan Bell, how are you? Good mate, yourself? Yeah, not bad, not bad, happy new year. And to you mate, and to you, it was probably uh, a bit quieter than mine, I would imagine, with uh, 75 million kids that I've got, but um, yeah mate, doing alright. How many have you got? Six. Six, not quite 75 million. Well, it feels like that some days, mate. You should want to be in my house every Especially other weekend. Christmas. Oh, mate, it gets expensive. gets expensive. Got to limit the uh, amount spent on each of them, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd... Well, that's what credit cards are made for, mate, to be honest. But there we are. No, definitely. Um, right, just want to start with just uh, going with your... Just your playing career, really, with rugby and then uh, heading to... I can't remember most of it, mate, so you probably got... How old, are, how old are you? Well, I know I look 26, but I'm, you want to stick 20 years on that, and I'm actually now actually 46. Really? I know, I'm a young... I, keeping all this, uh, these boyish good looks, mate, it's, it's, the, it's the puppy fat. It's the puppy fat. Yeah, I've got the puppy fat. The whole of my life, people have been saying, you'll grow out of that, mate. You'll grow out of that. The puppy fat will eventually go. But it's always stayed there, and it's, what it's done, it's kept my boyish good looks. So I'm quite happy about it. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> um, well, obviously, you started at KLB. Went to KLB school. Catherine Lady Barkley School, the mighty. Yeah. In Woodland Ridge. Did you actually play much rugby there? No, no. Um, so None it was, at all? Well, KLB, um, I don't know what it's like now, but when I was at school in the <clears throat> mid-80s, uh, <laughs> was, um, it was all hockey. So there was a, there was a headmaster called John Law, um, and it was just hockey, hockey, hockey. So, right. um, you know, I look back at, not that I can remember much about my early life, but um, I look back at KLB and there was there was no sports, really. There was no, there was no cricket, really. There was no rugby, football. There was no football. It was, um, it was just hockey. It was absolutely, it was pure hockey. Um, I was playing mini rugby um, down the road and a little bit of junior rugby as a, as a kid, but right. actually in school there was no rugby. The games master, um, a guy called Mr. Parkin, um, who I remember well, who gave me a phenomenal um, craft design and technology GCSE report. Um, I, I have read some of these yeah, reports. Yeah, they, are, they are great. Yeah, pretty bad, mate. He was a rug, but he was a rugby master and. Um, I say not rugby, he was just a games teacher and we did a little bit of rugby, but bearing in mind um, there was probably 20 kids in the class, 25 kids in the class and right. most of them cried off um, for rugby because it was in the wet and the rain and no one really oh, wanted okay. to do it. So there was no rugby, there was no, there, genuinely. Just, just no, happened to forget their PE kit. Yeah, just that day. And well, I remember a few times he did actually try to make people do it in their pants. That You could never do that nowadays, but back in the 80s, no. mate, everyone did it in their pants. Unless he had a note from mum and dad, genuinely, how, how times have changed. But um, no, no, no rugby really at school, mate. So it wasn't my love for rugby didn't come certainly didn't come from school. Okay. Um, although Mr. Parkin did, he loved it. He played for he. I remember him playing for Stroud. He we spoke about. It, he played for Stroud. Yeah. So he played at half decent level, and um, and he tried to um, try to promote rugby at the school, but it was impossible because of the, because of the head teacher. It was, everything was geared towards hockey. All the kit, everything was hockey. And there was just no sport at KLB. I know that's changed now, but at KLB at the time, there was literally no sport other than hockey. KLB does seem to be like, even now, I've got a few friends who, who went there. Um, and they, they do some kind of, you know, seem to push the sport quite a bit. Yeah. Just sports yeah. in general. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, I know, um, I know a teacher there, um, down at the, uh, uh, um, Chip and Sobby Rugby Club that also, 
um, teaches there, and there's a lot of sport there. And you, um, I think they've, um, you know, there's a lot of money that's been ploughed into the into the school, and there's a lot of there's a lot more sport there, which is which is great because yeah, you know when I was there, on, honestly, there was there was nothing there, mate. It was it was poor to be fair. Back in the eighties, uh, back in the eighties, that's long. That's a long time ago, isn't it? Um, yeah. I, I was born in nineteen ninety. All right, mate, stop rubbing it in. <laughs> stop rubbing it in. Um, yeah, but it, it was poor. Even you know, I didn't know any better. Um, but I even as a kid, I remember thinking to myself, "This is this is rubbish." Because I, I did, you know. Uh, we've already spoken about my school report and I've stuck up on Facebook a couple of times and uh, I, 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 I think I, it said complete <laughs> complete waster yeah um, I, I think one of them said yeah something like that waste, just a waste of time yeah com- completely wasting his time completely it. wasting his time I think that might be Mr. Parkin actually okay um, uh, well there's a couple of others about immature and silly uh, I'll be honest school wasn't for me academic work wasn't but all I wanted, wanted to do was play sport whether it was football cricket golf um, badminton, anything that was had a competitive edge. So it wasn't actually necessarily rugby that you were into at that age back in school. Well, I grew up initially in Norfolk. Um, okay, I was born in Norfolk and um, moved to the West Country around here, Chipping Sobbury area when I was <clears throat> when I was eight, I think. Um, okay. So I don't really remember much before before I was eight. Um, but what I do remember is it was there was no rugby. I didn't know what rugby was. It was foot, yeah, yeah. I played football and cricket okay. as, as a real wee kid, and anything I could get my uh, hands on in terms of sport. I loved motor racing for not that I did it, but um, yeah. I loved the that's kind of the Formula One. And um, then I moved to Hawkesbury. Is, is the motor racing something that you're still into? That you is still it, like sort of follow the motor racing? I don't. Know, I find Formula One now pretty boring. Okay, if, if I'm honest, it, it's it's never been something that I've. You know, really follow. I loved it in the in the eighties and and the nineties. It was I loved it when Murray Walker and James Hunt were the commentators on on telly, and it was on BBC. Yeah. It was I, I honestly I'd love it. I'd play rugby on a Sunday, and then it'd be the Grand Prix in the afternoon. I, I, that was my I love Sundays because that, that's what happened. And uh, and then in the evening it was rugby special after Ski Sunday um, on nice. the telly. Yeah, but um, it was um, I loved Formula One, but anything. Genuinely, anything sporting, I absolutely loved. And, you know, school wasn't really for me. Um, yeah, so any, yeah. So I, I was happier on the sporting field than I was in the classroom. I didn't want to be pinned down in the classroom. And it's kind of remained that way, really. Even to this day, I, I prefer... I'm competitive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just want to... Um, yeah, Be anything, competitive. Yeah, I just want to be competitive. And I hope that... Hope I live a long and uh, a long life, and it'll it'll always remain with me. But you know, I couldn't imagine not having sport or that kind of competitive element not in my life. It'd be it'd be odd. Okay, fair enough. So from Kelby, then you went to Colston's, right? Yeah, only because I had a scholarship. My, I, oh, I, I say right. I grew up in Hawkesbury, and um, I did my GCSEs at KLB badly, okay, um, <laughs> and scraped through to get into my A levels, but. Um, I went to Colston's on a scholarship, and Colston's at the time. I don't know what it's like now, but um, it was an all boys school. Well, it was an all boys school. Well, there's a Colston girls school, and yeah. it, which still remains to this day. I think there is, and it's the Colston now. It's Colston Collegiate. Although um, that names, I think, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. But, so, but, but obviously, the girls then they merged with the boys, didn't they? No, the Collegiate School, which was a separate school in oh. in Bristol. They, I think, were going under, and then Colston's took them over, and they merged. So they took the, when I 
first turned okay. up at, uh, at Colston's in a sixth form. It was the first year, I think, I'm right in saying, of a of a mixed sexed school at right. Colston's. Um, and I think that was the first year. So I went there and there was there was there weren't many girls there to be fair. Um, it was just mainly boys. Um, but yeah, I just went there for sixth form. Um, and, and really, I went there for rugby. But we got a scholarship because m- my parents would never been able to afford to pay for the um, for the full time education. And luckily, I um, got got a scholarship for for sport. Um, so I've had a comprehensive, you know, background and a, you know, a state education. I've had public private education as well, albeit for only for a couple of years. Um, and it was. Yeah, I loved being at Colston's. Whereas I didn't really enjoy KLB, I really enjoyed Colston's because it was there was so much sport. It was sport yeah. every day. There was quite literally every day there was. Um, like I said, at Colston's with all the sport, you can be the competitive person that you are. Yeah, I mean, again, because at KLB at the time there was nothing. The only reason why I ever played age group, um, I ended up playing England under 16s, England under 18s, rugby. I played county cricket as a um, as a youngster as well. And the only reason why I did that was because I heard in a in a tutor group lesson at KLB, right at the very bottom, they you know they have all the announcements and stuff. Yeah. And right at the very bottom it was, oh, and there are trials for rugby. Nice. And it was like, oh, I'm I'm playing rugby. I will do that. So I, you know, went up to the tutor at the end of it and said, I wouldn't mind doing that. And and it was for Stroudon District under fifteen. Under 16. Just to go back a little bit, when when did you first like play rugby? Yeah. Ten. Uh, Ten years old. Yeah, so I moved moved uh, to Hawkesbury when I was eight, um, and then my old man um, had a look around at the local rugby club. So um, again, this there wasn't this was pre-internet, mate. So it wasn't like it wasn't like you could um, uh, you know go on the internet and find um, a local rugby club. It was it was you know it was it was it would look at a map and phone up place and look at yellow pages and stuff like that so my old man um wanted me to play rugby you know I was he he was a rugby he was a rugby man he didn't want me to play really to play football and um I was obviously pretty good hand-eye coordination I was good at pretty much anything I put my hand up with so he said let's get you down to rugby and I didn't want to go so he took my brother down to Bath mini rugby so the only reason why I became a Bath rugby supporter to this day yeah is because my dad, where we were living, Hawkesbury, if you put your finger in the map, even to this day, it's pretty much equidistant to Gloucester, Bath and Bristol. It's not too far as a crow flies from either. So he phoned up, they were the biggest clubs at the time, and still are, and um, he phoned up Gloucester, and there was no mini section at 10 years of age. Phoned up Bristol, there was no mini section at 10 years of age. Phoned up Bath, and there was. It was like, right, we're off to Bath. And that's the only reason why I became a Bath rugby supporter was because of that and he he took my brother down for his first session when he must have been about eight um and and I didn't want to go because I wanted to play football okay and my brother came back and said oh I love it and I went all right I'll go so I went the next week in a in a Tottenham Hotspur (laughs) outfit (laughs) which went didn't go down very well at a rugby club and and suddenly realized this is awesome so Um, did you ever play football as well well, I played football like as a kid at school, but because uh, I believe it or not, or may not be now, but at school I was fairly, I was tall and lean. I was, you know, I okay. stopped growing at 12. Yeah. So I was, you know, I shot up and I was six foot one at 12 years of age. So I was always tall and skinny. 
until I hit around, well, I stopped going at 12 and then I started to fill out, obviously. And by 16, I was a unit. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was always tall and skinny. So I was always pretty good at football um, as an outfield player. And, and then I enjoyed um, being in goal, believe it or not. I, t- I tended to go back. So I actually started playing at St. Nick's. Um, over at Sobre? Yeah, over at Sobre. I started oh, okay. playing there when I was a young lad. And uh, um, I started, my first game was up front. I scored a goal with my first, second touch. I kicked off and then the next touch I scored a goal. Lucky. Uh, no, it was out <laughs> of a shot, mate. Outside the box, top corner. That's all I say. Um, and then wins. next game, centre midfield. Next game, centre back. Next game in goal. <laughs> so quite literally like that. But I, yeah. I enjoyed being in goal because it was like rugby. You play my hands and yeah, yeah. and I could take people out as a goalie. It was quite good fun. <laughs> but I was never going to be a footballer. Never going to be a footballer. It was always rugby. And my old man in the end didn't want me to play football. Um and got really vociferous about his... So, so I'm guessing he was like mad into rugby as well then? I wouldn't say he was mad into rugby, yeah. but he was he enjoyed rugby more than football, um, even though he was he was a northerner. He was from um, um, Sheffield way. So it was, all, it was all football. But he went to university in Canterbury, I believe, um, and um, started playing rugby there. And he started playing rugby with a, for a colliery, believe it or not, a bets hanger. Um, colliery um, uh, and the rugby club and uh, I donated a rugby shirt to in the end because of, of my old man nice. um, and then he, his his love for the game was from there so it was kind of when he was a man really when he was a when he was at university that's where he, his love for rugby came and he, he's kind of passed it on to me decent yeah it's good so from Colson's then you went to play for um, Harlequins yeah, so well, I, I even though I wouldn't, I'm not academic. I Colston's was good for me, one for sport, but also it. Let's be honest, it's private education, and and yeah. I, like I said, I've seen the best of, you know, at the time KLB was in the top fifty comprehensive schools in the country. It, it, I don't know like what it's like now to have, um, like you know, stats and how their exam results are, but they're always considered like. At the top, yeah, they are, yeah, and even then they were they were one of the better schools in the country. But the difference in the my ability to learn from KLB to Colston's was immeasurable. It was just so much easier at Colston's. They and it, it basically because of class sizes. You know, at KLB it was at 30, 35 in a class. It's hard for a teacher to devote time for 30, 35 kids. Whereas at Colston's it was like 10, 15 tops. So, and the, the days were longer. We had Saturday school, for instance, at Colston. So there was more time devoted to, um, devoted to education as well as sport. So yeah. I was, a, it gave me the ability to, to learn a bit more. Not that I really wanted to, but I had to. And, um, and it got me through my levels. I mean, my levels were pretty crap, but it got me enough then to get, again, virtually, well, I got an unconditional offer to go to university in London. So I went to St Mary's in, in Twickenham. Hey, rugby. Nice. <laughs> I just wanted to get Fair away enough. from, I wanted to get away from, uh, I wanted to get away from Hawkesbury, to oh, be honest. Okay. Um, I've always lived in the country, in Norfolk, lived in the country, here, Hawkesbury and Sobbury, Jim and Sobbury is in the country. Yeah. But my, yeah, my parents were divorcing and they're in a bad place and I just oh, wanted okay. to get the hell out of it. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I wanted to get out of, um, I wanted to get as far away as possible from from there, and no, as soon as I was eighteen, I wanted out of home. You know, I, before that, really, I wanted to get away from home, um, and and I did, and it was just like, where, where do I go? Well, 
you know, Bright Lights, Big City, just go to London. Um, yeah, definitely. Which which was great, but in the end, I ended up hating London. I'm very much a country boy. Oh, okay. So kind of... Yeah, but, bit, I, but, but I did it. You know, I lived there for a couple of years. Um, and when I was at uni, I... And again, as soon as I got to uni in London, and my first thought, other than getting pissed <laughs> during Freshers' Week, was where am I going to play rugby? So I actually, because St Mary's is an Irish university, or very, it's a Catholic university, okay. so you get a lot of Irish there. And um, so a lot of the guys come down to London Irish. So I actually ended up going to London Irish initially and playing in their under 21s because all my mates were there from, from uni. Yeah. Um, but it, at the time, it was, it was, you know, it was, I, I didn't really see a, path there because it was amateur rugby still because it hadn't gone professional in 90, yeah. 94 it was um it hadn't gone professional so so was that like 20 years old uh yeah 19 yeah yeah oh, 19 years. i accidentally did three years in sixth form at colston's because i was that's to do redo my animals <sighs> that's another story <laughs> <laughs> um because they weren't good enough. The irony was, I got exactly the same grade second time round. So there we go. Oh, really? Yeah, but I just had another year of school, so I was all right with it. Cool, just yeah, just still chilled out for a year. Yeah, and playing sport. That's what I wanted to do. So I was like, as soon as, as soon as I, I didn't fail my levels, I got rubbish results. And I was like, right, you're gonna have to go back and go do better. And I was like, oh, it just means another year of playing rugby and foot, cricket and football and all sorts. So I was like, all right, happy day. Um, but yeah, I did want to leave. But as soon as yeah, as soon as I got there was like i went to london irish and it wasn't wasn't quite right i didn't i didn't feel like i it was i was going to progress there or in a i was in a good team and i was playing with all my mates but i kind of got uh my head turned by dick best who was at harlequins at the time yeah when it was i think it was england coach as well so okay. it was, so it was like harlequins much bigger club obviously it was just down the road from where i was living um i could cycle there um i had you know, Will Carling, Brian Moore, Peter Winterbottom, blind Some big names there. Yeah, some big, at the time, big names. People might not have heard them now, but, the, you know, but back then they were yeah. big time England, British Lions, you know, some big guys. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go there. And I played there and and Dick Best turned my head. And, um, and I was playing under 21 rugby. I know it's under 20s now, but at the time it was under 21 rugby. And I was also playing a lot of second team stuff. And I probably, in that first year, I probably played about 15 first team games. So I was, it was my introduction into men's rugby. So I was, which I didn't get Irish. So I was, this was like my, I suddenly realised I'm actually, half, I'm quite good at this game. Yeah, I've already played England internationals as 16 and 18 year old. Okay. But um, I was suddenly that I'm probably good enough now to start playing men's rugby. And I only got one, that season, I think I only played once in the, what was then the Allied Dunbar Premiership. But then I remember, and it was against Wasps. And I remember thinking to myself, crikey, you know, this is, there's, you know, 10,000 people watching. You know, I've been watching, you know, a couple of years ago, I was watching Rugby Special on BBC Two. And now I'm playing, I'm playing. Like playing for the teams you were watching. Playing for the teams I was watching, which was real surreal. And I've With always. the people that you were watching. Uh, exactly, yeah. And I, I've always really lacked confidence as a as a bloke and even as a as a rugby player and anything I do really I do lack a lot of confidence and I remember I don't remember much about my careers but my career but little bits and bobs that do stick out and I remember the that Quinns against Wasps game is at Sudbury the old Wasps ground and I remember being on the bench and just thinking to myself I'm not good enough to be here 
I remember thinking that at the time. I shouldn't be here. Oh, really? I'm, a, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. I'm going to get killed on the field. Cause, you know, yeah, like 19, 20 years old. Yeah, I was 19. I was like, these are they're massive blokes. You know, I was only really at the time about maybe 16 and a half, 17 stone. Um, I got a lot bigger, but yeah. um, at the time, that was nothing. And these guys were a lot bigger. And I was like, I'm going to get And I think it's the, the, the age as well, especially, well, considering as well that you found the fact that you were... Um, Two years ago, you were watching these people on TV, mm. and now you're running around the pitch with them. It's really odd, mate. It's yeah. a really surreal experience. And um, even at, um, when I was training at Quinn's, it was always strange to be training mainly with the 20s and the second team, but we'd, we'd mix every now and again. And running around the field and being sat in, at Quinn's at the time, they had these massive, they've changed them now, but they had these massive communal baths that were huge, much bigger than this room. Um, and every after every training session, everyone would get in these big communal baths. I remember sat down there and I was, I'm sat and I'm, and I'm there's a wall in between the two and I'm, I've got my back and on the other side of the wall is Jason Leonard and Brian Moore. Wow. And I'm like, wow, these guys are current yeah. England international. I'm sat in a bath, well, the, there was a wall, but I'm sat in a bath with these two guys. I'm on the training That's pitch insane. and on the weekend, I'm playing with these buggers. You know, it was just... Really surreal as a kid. How many caps did Jason Hood finish with? Like over, over 100. Oh, yeah. Was it about 120? Was that... something, something ridiculous, yeah. Mate, fair play to the bloke. Yeah. And he's a great bloke as well. Yeah. Loves a, loves a beer. Yeah, mate, I can imagine. <laughs> but he, um, yeah, great bloke. We'd always, and he was one of the guys that always had his time for people. Yeah, yeah. You know, because there's a lot, there's a, there's a big hierarchy in rugby and there's a lot, there's a big clique and at times and, you know, the young spunkers are, you know, you have to, you made to earn your stripes, but Jace was, um, was awesome. Would always have his time for people and would always try and help people out as best they can. Even Moro, to be fair. Um, I think my parents saw, my dad's got a, pit, a, a photograph, an old photograph, um, of me packing down with, um, Brian Moore, which was, you know, at the t and again, at the time he's a British lion and I'm a, spotty little 19 year old kid and, and I'm playing <laughs> yeah. with Brian Moore and and I remember that game it was it was a second team game and he'd been dropped for whatever reason um and he but he turned up and played for a second whereas no none of the other players would really play for the second team it was like I ain't playing for the second team but more yeah kind of like a downgrade yeah it was that I ain't playing I'm not available which I do understand yeah um especially then because it was it was still amateur it wasn't really professional and it wasn't like professional but Moro played, and I remember that was a he was a big he was a big help. But he only, I didn't and was, I was never confident enough really to speak to him because he was Brian Moore. But he really helped. Were these guys a lot older than you? I guess they had sort of like five, maybe ten years on top. Well, they were old enough, more. Yeah, more, you know. Do you know what I mean? That you know, because they I was looking up to these guys. They might only be. I, I actually don't know how much old Moro is. Uh, he must be in his fifties, and Jace must be in his fifties. Um, so they were a good sort of five years plus older than me. Yeah. But it wasn't just that. It's just a fact, because you, you kind of put these guys on a pedestal because you were literally watching them on the telly every week. They're oh, playing no, for course. England. They're in a six, or what was it, five nations. They're playing against, you know, we watched Brian Moore against the French playing in, out in France and beating everybody up. And amazing to play with him. I, I think the thing is as well is, it's just going to be the same with any sport or anything that you watch on TV. If you're um, just watching these people on TV and then all of a sudden like, Oh my god, that that's yeah. so, so even like actresses and actors, yeah. and anyone, 
they're, they're still sort of like people that you look up to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he, it's strange seeing them on the telly and then seeing them in real life. It's almost like it's just a surreal experience. And um, even just like you know nowadays, like YouTube stars, like yeah. if you like not really for me but you know that's what the kids are watching nowadays mm. if, if they sort of see that um i don't know, I don't know the names of them like Blant, logan paul and jake paul i know they're starting to yeah. do a bit of boxing now but that's a complete shit show, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that, oh, that's a joke um but yeah for like you know people who sort of like you know 10 to 14 years old that's what they're watching that's who their yeah. celebrities well, are my, my kids watching youtube yeah like how old is under uh, six, just turned six. Yeah, but he he's watching. What's he? What, unspeakable? No idea. No idea. No. no um, Preston plays. Um, no, nope, never no heard of it. And Ryan Ryan's world. Some uh, all kids in America. And you look at their net worth, and oh, it's insane! It's um, like tens of millions of dollars. It's incredible. And they are making stupid money from YouTube, and they're just idiots. They're just doing stupid stupid things on YouTube. Nothing educational. It really winds me up. Yeah, but. That's the age we live in, so yeah. we've got to get on with it. But I'd rather they be playing sport. But is, is Andrew at all into? He's not your youngest, is it? Sienna, uh, Seren, Seren is my youngest. Sorry. She's um, just turned three, so Xander is six. He's doing the jujitsu. Yeah, no, yeah, I see him doing his breakfalls New Year's. Yeah, New well, mate, he did a little New Year's party, early New Year's party, and he was we're doing dancing, and he insisted on getting his. Gracie Barra Guy on yeah, yeah. for some reason had it and then started dancing and doing breakfalls in the <laughs> odd but Mate, if he's happy exactly he was happy so it was um uh, he he does he needs that he's um he's quite an active kid yeah say the least he's yeah. he's um he's I mean, I've already alluded to it, I've already got six kids yeah but he is very different to the others um the others are much more yeah calm calm normal kids yeah. uh, great kids love them all. And I love Xander, obviously, but he is—he's different gravy. That's right. He's—he's he's different gravy. He's—he uh, needs constant stimulus. Um, uh, I, I can it, imagine Jujitsu's help that though. Yeah, it does help him. And Antonio uh, here is uh, the, the. Oh, coach. mate, Antonio's great. He's—he's—he's he's, he's unbelievable with the kids, and yeah. um, he's brilliant with them he engages with them but he's also you know if they're a step out of line which Xander always does yeah he'll he'll say Xander concentrate and he does and he loves it he looks forward to it so um yeah I, I um doesn't let him just run wild doesn't let him run wild no. but, but Xander is a very very active kid and he's also very physical so jiu-jitsu is actually perfect I'd love to get him into rugby but he will not will not why I don't know. We, I've tried taking him to rugby tots and to, to mini rugby and stuff, but he hates... It, it, it's odd because he'll do the jiu-jitsu in a confined space, but with rugby, he doesn't want to be confined. So he will oh, okay. quite literally get the... If he doesn't got the ball, he gets upset. Oh. So he'll get the ball and he'll run off and won't let anyone play with it. He's, is, is that... Does he just want to be, you know, have all the attention on him? Is that no, it's not. Or? He just... He's, um, he's just different <laughs> it's just different i i can't put my, my mind on it you know I, I, my finger on it it's just he uh he, he just doesn't want to do it and i'm and i don't want to force him like my my, no, other, my other son ethan who's 11 um who was my first boy i've, yeah. I've got two boys out of six and i was never ever going to force him into playing rugby or you know just because i played a decent level of rugby i was never going to say right well, you have to play right you have to get your boots on no i let him find his own path and 
it, quite literally one day he just came to me at sort of seven, I think it was, and, and me, yeah. and, me and his mum and just said, I want to play rugby. And it's like, yeah, mate, you do that. Like, you want to play football? You play football. You want to play cricket? We want whatever you want to do. You're like, yes. Well, it did. I, yes, I was a yes, <laughs> yeah. nice one. Good but, uh, yeah, and he, and he absolutely loves it, like properly loves it. And, um, as, and I can see as much love in the game that I had at that age as well. So, yeah, um, yeah so hopefully he, and, and he, I do feel a little bit sorry for Ethan in so much as um, he, he, he seems to put a lot of pressure on himself because, okay. and I can imagine if my old man had played for England, yeah, because hundred percent. Yeah, he's like, oh, well, my, I need my dad play for England. I need to play for England, and he keeps on saying to me, "Dad, will I play for England?" I go, "Well, maybe, mate." He goes, "Will I play for Bath?" I said, "Well, well, maybe." Yeah. But if you don't, that doesn't matter because all I, I eleven exactly. But I only started playing rugby because one, my dad did drag me down there. But as soon as he, right. I got down there, I loved it. So it was. There was wasn't a career choice like it is now for a lot of kids. You can make money out of rugby, and you can that can be a career path. For me, it wasn't. It was just about playing rugby with my mates and having a great time. And to be honest, I got a free pasty at the end of it. That was (laughs) (laughs) that was a bonus. And um, and and that's why I want Ethan to, to to love about it. I want him to play with his mates, have fun, and if that means that. He only, I say only, but if he plays local rugby and has a great time with his mates, loves the game, enjoys it, and plays grass and plays grassroots rugby, yeah. brilliant. I am very happy with that. No, if he makes, if he gets further, then I'm very happy with that as well. But I hope he doesn't put himself under too much pressure to try and do that. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of feel sorry for him because, you know, it must be difficult having a dad that, in inverted commas, made it. Well, yeah. And- that's going to be the same with anything, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. if um, Salvo's kids, for example, yeah. like they, they all train jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, Salvo won, you know, many medals. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they his kids obviously look up to their dad, but I'm sure Salvo obviously wants them to get to that level and beyond. But, yeah. you know, as long as they put their every effort into it, yeah, that, I just that's want, all you could really ask for. All my kids, whatever they do, I just want them to be. <laughs> that is the cliche in it, but it's true. You just want them to be happy at whatever they want to do. If that's watching YouTube videos, we'll be happy watching the YouTube videos. If it's playing rugby or acting, music, anything, just crack on. As long as it makes you happy. Yeah, that's it. Um, but from Harlequins, you went on to Ebervale. Yeah, so it went professional. Yeah. Um, so I, I was at Quins. Um, I'd already spoken about Dick Best. I uh, we had a bit of a fractious, not yeah, fractious relationship. I I remember um, um, I was at, like I said I was at university in some yeah. areas and academically didn't suit me. As soon as I got to university, I realised uh, it's not for me. Um, it was something that you kind of had to do at that age because if you didn't get to university, you wouldn't get a, you know you didn't get a degree, you wouldn't get a good job. That's the way it was kind of in the in the nineties. Now it's very different, but then I just felt like I had to go, and I wanted to get away from home. But um, as soon as I got there, it, I knew it wasn't for me. What university was not for me. Um, but yeah, I ended up um, moving to Ebervale, and it, the year the, during that transition period. In sort of 94, 95, 96, it was it, the game went professional. So all the all the guys at Quinn's suddenly got these contracts. And I had a meeting with Dick Best. And Dick Best said to me, looked me in the eye and said, Belly, you are either a student 
or you're a rugby player, you make the decision. So obviously I was going to say, oh, okay. I'm, rugby, I'm a rugby player, Deck. Yeah. So I dropped out. I was always going to drop out of uni anyway, but I dropped out of university to be a rugby player and then the fucker didn't give me a contract. <laughs> but I was always going to, yeah, exactly. So I was, I'd had a... Did um, that really piss you off? Yeah, I was, I was going to, I was, that was, my love for rugby had gone, like genuinely. Oh, really? Yeah, 20 years of, or 19, 20 years of age, it had gone. And um, um, I ended up, you know, I was playing good level of cricket. I played county cricket as a kid. Yeah. And I was playing top level cricket in, in, in London for Twickenham. Um, if anyone's ever been to Twickenham, the green in the middle of Twickenham is where the cricket club play. And that's where I played. And it's an amazing setting. And they had a really good team. They're playing in the Premier League. And I was a good cricketer. You know, I bowled a bit of medium pace and batted three or four, sometimes opened. I loved it. I love playing cricket and always have done. Uh, maybe not so much now, but I yeah. did at the time. And, um, and I left Quinn. I knew I was leaving. I didn't have a contract. So I was like, fuck it. I ain't playing anymore. Right. So I said, I'm going to have a, I'm gonna have a summer off. I'm just gonna enjoy my cricket. So I played. I had a really good year of playing cricket, and um, and then all of a sudden, after playing all that time and having a really good time in London, I suddenly realised, crikey, it's it's now um, uh, it's August, late August, and I haven't got a rugby club. I'm not gonna play now. Do I do I play rugby or not? And I thought, well. I'm obviously not good enough. That mine made a decision in my head. I wasn't good enough to play professional rugby. It just gone professional, and Quinn's just said I ain't got a contract. And there was no agents in those days. Oh, right, the okay. game was completely embryonic. So it's literally just you had to do all your own stuff. Yeah, and so like I, I find was, your own teams. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was. So I was like, well, I ain't gonna play. I'm. I'm not good enough. That was my decision. I, you know, I might have played school international schoolboy rugby. I played fifteen games at top. Uh, you know, in the first team for Quinn's. But I ain't good enough because I ain't got. A, I haven't got a contract, so I signed very briefly for Staines in oh, um, okay. in London Division. God knows what. And what just to get on the pitch, basically, just to play rugby and, yeah. frankly, to get a job. I was working okay. in Weatherspoons. So that was a professional contract then. No. Okay. No, no, no. They they didn't pay players. So I was going to sign for you know sign league papers for for Staines, which I oh, did. Okay, right. I see what you're saying. And I just said to them, like, I I need help getting a job. I was working in Weatherspoons at the time for three pounds and a penny an hour. I don't think the I don't think the wages increased very much, but I was I remember working in, in the middle of London, Twickenham, three pounds and a penny an hour. It was blimmin' slave labour. But anyway, penny helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. Um, yeah, I, I signed for Staines and I just said, look, I, I need a job. Um, I can't continue working. So they they said, well, okay, you come and sign for us and we'll try and get you a job somewhere. And they were in the, and I only signed for um, probably a couple, I remember the guy turned up on my doorstep and signed the papers and uh, he said, we'll try and get you a job now. I was like, sweet. Because um, I was on the bread line. Yeah. And um, then out of the blue, I had a phone call. This was late August and had a phone call from... I thought it was weird. It was a real over-the-top Welsh accent, and I thought it was taken. I thought someone was taking a piss out of me, so I actually hung up. But really? phoned, yeah, phoned back, and there's a guy called Paul Paul Holt, um, yeah. and it real tenuous link. But um, the Harlequins under twenty-one coach at the yeah. time, a guy called Sean Rusk, who was also a, a coach of uh, Middlesex under twenty-ones at the time, um, which was which I was playing for, and he was second team coach at Quinns. He was living in a flat that happened to be owned by this guy, Paul Holt, who randomly was commercial director at Ebervale in Wales. Yeah, yeah. Just outside Newport. 
Um, and they were talking on the phone one day and it was like, oh, Ebervale need a prop. Do you know anyone? And Sean Russell's like, well, yeah, Belly's just left. Yeah. Have a chat to him, get him down. Otherwise, mate, if it wasn't for that phone call, genuinely, I wouldn't have had the career I've had. Uh, Still be at Weatherspoons. Still be at Weatherspoons today, earning maybe maybe £3.75 now, an hour, possibly. Um, Yeah, if it wasn't for that call, I wouldn't have gone. And he said, look, we're in need of a prop. Would you come down and have a tryout? And I was like, look, I've just signed for Staines. They haven't got me a job. I had no loyalty to them. So I did feel pretty bad. But I was like, well, yeah, of course I'll come down and give a trial. So I remember pl- going down. They took me down in his uh, in his Ford Mondeo, which I remember. He was a massive bloke. He was about six foot eight, six foot nine. and probably big. And probably 30 stone. He was enormous. That is, uh, that's yeah, a big Yeah, he, he was enormous. I mean, that's like the sort of size of the world's strongest man, though. He was enormous, mate. Like, properly yeah. enormous. Um, and he took me down, drove from London to, to Wales and that's quite a drive. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't too bad actually, the way he drove. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, he said, right, we're going down, we've got this game, we've got a trial game against Tradiga, yeah. uh, come down and play. So I was like, yeah, all right. Um, so obviously didn't know anyone there and it was, you know, the, obviously the, 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 the Ebervale side and a few other um, guys that were on trial and I was on trial and I started the game scored two tries nice and I said we want you to play you think you're really good and you know you're 20 years of old years of age and you're just what we need and I was like oh, well I'm earning three pound and a penny an hour at the moment I need can you match that <laughs> <laughs> to be fair they just about did all oh, right well okay. you say that oh, I'll come to this and that in a minute even though it was professional yeah they trained t- two days a week so it's Tuesday and Thursday night training okay and um, it wasn't really. You've got to remember, it was a very different time then. So, what? How often were you training at Hollywood? Then, just to compare. Well, again, Tuesday and Thursday night, but it went yeah. professional. But I know I had no idea what they were doing because ah, right, I okay. wasn't in that setup anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had no idea what they were doing. But um, uh, um, so I went to yeah. So Tuesday and Thursday night. I said, well, I you know I need I ain't got anywhere to stay. Um, I ain't got any money. Um, I haven't got a job. Yeah. And I said, look, we'll put, you, we'll get you a council flat. <clears throat> okay. Which they did to yeah, live yeah. in. And it was actually with Paul Hulk. He was living in his council flat. I was in his spare room, basically. Um, so that's where I stayed. And um, and they got me a job as a security guard in Newport, uh, just in a summer field, just walking up and down. <clears throat> Again, I didn't give a monkeys what I did. It was just getting money. You need the money. I just need the money. Yeah. And, um, and I remember... <laughs> And I signed a contract. I signed a contract. Get this, my first professional contract um, with Ebervale, and it was two hundred pounds, right, a month. What? Yeah, uh, of which they taxed fifty quid. So my take home every month. Yeah, promise. Uh, my take home was one hundred and fifty pounds a month for, for my first professional contract. Back in 96? 96, about that sort of yeah. time, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, 150, my take-home was £150 a month. They they got the, I, they put me up in a flat, to be fair, but I still had to pay the bills. Okay, did you uh, have to pay the rent for the flat? No, I didn't pay uh, the rent. right, okay. But still, 150, try living off £150 yeah, a month, mate. I could do it. Now, the beauty of it was that I, they paid £100 win bonus. So oh. I have never been more desperate yeah, to win cool. a game of rugby in all my life other than when I was playing at Ebervale because um, you won a game of rugby and it was like that was virtually doubling well it wasn't quite but you know it was nearly doubling my wages yeah, obviously what four games a month yeah 
I was like, I want to play week. more. I wanted to, I was like, give me, give me another game, got to win, got yeah, to win, yeah. got to win. And I was working as a security guard as well. But mate, as a, I was burning four pounds an hour as a security guard. You know, right. it's, it's hard. Being a security guard, mate, is hard. You're on your feet all day long and then you got to play a game of rugby. So um, and quite often I'd have to work in the morning before a game of rugby and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, it's, it was odd at different times. But, but, I lo- but I loved it, mate. I was just, you know, I was um, playing rugby. Someone, someone was paying me. Even though it wasn't a lot of money, I was getting paid £150 a month to play yeah. rugby. And I was, um, and I was, uh, and I was loving it. It was, it was great. And I, and again, uh, uh, I said this previously. You know, Welsh have been absolutely superb to me. You know, Ebervale was uh, um, saved my career, and later down the line, um, Pontypridd um, also yeah. saved my career later on the line. But yeah, I loved my time in Wales. Um, it was, um, it was, it was different. Um, you know, I'd gone from. Living in Hawkesbury in a little little country village to Bright Lights Big City in Twickenham, yeah, to a count the top sorry the bottom floor of a council flat at the very top of Ebervale. And if anyone's been to Ebervale, it's built into the side of a hill. And at the oh. top of the hill, yeah, yeah, in Ebervale is where I lived. And it was um um it was a uh, it was it was hard. It was it was a great place to live, and a, it was a tough place to live at the same time because yeah, it was, yeah. Unfortunately, it was just at the time it was so depressed. The steelworks there were the main source of income, and they'd shut down, so there was high unemployment. You know, there was virtually all the shops in the high street had shut. It was a pretty depressed place, but the people were amazing. Like, it, you would never realize how economically how depressed it was, but the actual people there were just their spirits. Were always oh, up. mate, I mean, I, I love where I'm living now. But I lived a long time in Wales. And even when I played for English clubs, I was still living in Wales. And any reason oh, why right. I moved from Wales down the line when I was at Pontypridd was because of the travelling. I had to move in it and it was causing too much. But I loved, loved living in Wales. The people were, and still are, incredible. Nice. Yeah. So from Ebervale, you went to Sale Shark. You spent five years at Ebervale? Uh, four years. Okay, was, it was all story. So I was, in the end, I was at Ebervale. I was paying being paid 200 pound a gross a month yeah and it wasn't enough in the end no. I, and i got to did, did it increase over the four years at all uh so it was a one-year contract which okay. i signed at the end of the year got to the end of the year and i said look i'm clearly a number one i played all the games i played 80 minutes on all the games i scored some good tries i was being touted as at the time as a welsh international and i was thinking yeah. and i was seriously considering doing my um uh um, you know, residency in Wales. I'd done a year already and um, I had two more years left and I did two more years. I could then qualify for Wales and I was seriously considering it. So, and, um, you know, came to renegotiation contracts. I didn't, no one had agents. So I said, I need more money. And in the end, they... Um, well, even like after it's been professional for a little while, still... I didn't have an agent. I didn't, no one, no one really were, were had agents. Were agents in rugby a thing though? Not really. Okay. Uh, not really. There were agencies but it, it, there's no internet mate so it's not like you can go and find one so yeah. it's all word of mouth it's, yeah. it's not the sort of thing you get in the yellow pages is it no and there's no real no and there's no real mobile fo- no one really had mobile phones either mate you gotta remember that do you think there weren't any agents because um they all want to do the football because let's be fair for 200 pound a month there's no real money for the agents and exactly there? there was there was no one around mate not really i mean there were the, there were bigger agencies that were agencies in other sports that were branching out into rugby but at the time there was no one like quite literally no one. a lot of the, a lot of the agents were um solicitors 
So what they did is they right. they wouldn't they kind of negotiate, but they look at the contracts because all the, whereas the contracts now are very standardised, um, thanks to the RPA. Yeah. Um, then they were there could be anything. It could be anything in a contract. So they were the ones that sorted the contracts out. But um, so when when you got your contract, did you just look over your own contract and just? I didn't know. I just signed it. Oh, so you didn't even know sort of really? No, mate. Could I, I, could have, I could have been signed up to be a ballerina for all knows. I didn't know. I looked at the end of it. It was £200 a month. Cheers, boy. Yeah, so... Uh, Thank you. Where do I yeah. sign? £100 a win. Thank you. But at the end of the year, then I renegotiated on it. I ended up signing. Oh, what a disastrous decision. Um, because the, 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 the negotiations, my negotiations with the club, were so protracted and long-winded, I ended up signing for nine grand. In fact, my old man did it, really. With me, right. um, I ended up signing a three-year contract for nine grand a year, which at the time was, and, and they pay for my flat, which was, you know, okay, it was six hundred. Uh, bearing in mind, I'd gone from one hundred and fifty net to oh, at the time I was getting about six hundred and fifty net a month, yeah. um, which was to me, I was like, oh, that's cool, and I was still going to get a hundred pound a win, and I thought I was really good. I thought that was really good money at the time, um, and as it happens, then that's when I, I probably shouldn't have signed that contract because it ended up... Um, Is this... You, you're still on that Ebervale? Ebervale, yeah. yeah. So I, 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 ended up, I ended up getting bought by sale. They paid right. a transfer fee for me. They paid £58,000 for me, believe Ooh. it or not. <laughs> and it was... Um, and then, but then an agent did step in. So that was Mike Burton, yeah, who um, was a British Lion and, and it ended up being an agent, still is an agent. And he... I think, I don't know, but I think what happened was Sale were desperate for a prop and were asking agents, you know, we need a prop. Do you know anyone? And I was getting a big name for myself in Wales and I was on no money. Yeah. Comparatively. Um, and I was like, go and get him because he's going to be good and young, on no money, get him for nothing. So how were you, so 2000? No, this is 97. Oh yeah, 97, you started 97. Seven. Yeah, yeah. so... And I remember it was just before Christmas when they bought me. So I was done half a season um, at Ebba Vale. Uh, and, and Sale came in and paid a transfer fee for me. I was, I think, at the time, I was only the second player to be transferred uh, to pay a transfer fee. And the first one was Ingaturgamaga for a million pounds. And Whoa. then it was Duncan, Duncan Bell, 58,000. <laughs> <laughs> so still, though, even though there's like a massive like um, difference in transfer fee there yeah you still got to think like oh right cool someone else wants me well, I thought it was and they're quite, willing to pay yeah. for me i know that, that it was quite nice you know it was quite in, in a weird way it was so and i was then remember thinking to myself someone's willing to pay fifty-eight thousand pounds for me yeah yeah, yeah. um and, and uh, bizarrely i was paid nowhere near that like, oh, in my right, contract okay. was yeah was no not even half that in fact it was less than half that but um for sale yeah 24 grand i was paid um, but but in all fairness, back then. But then again, it was doubling my money. It was tri- yeah. nearly tripling my money. So um, you really, you you were cashing in, in in your own money. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, did you have a rough idea of what other players were? No, no idea. So yeah, so none at all. It was all it, but twenty four grand. I mean, this was ninety seven. That's good money. It's good money now. But yeah, as a professional sportsman, not a lot of money. But no. um, for me, it was brilliant. Um, oh, it was brilliant. It was a. It was. It was. I, I. Again, I enjoyed being at Sale. I was very loyal to Sale. Um, didn't quite work out after four years, but um, uh, I was kind of turned because 
looking back, how do I wish I'd stayed at Ebervale? Maybe because okay. I because if I because I loved I didn't really want to leave. I'll be honest, I didn't really want to leave, and it wasn't really about the money. But you know, I talked to my old man a lot, and who I have a massive amount of respect for, and yeah. well, and obviously love deeply. Um, and he was desperate for me to get back into English rugby. He wanted me to play for England. It's not even the fact of you you coming back home, is it? Because so no, was all the no. way up north. But it was, but the English Premiership at the time and probably still now is a much better competition of course it is yeah than than the, the welsh as it was it was club rugby then now it's provincial but it was club rugby then and there were some poor teams um in in welsh rugby um and you know the expo and he his view was if i'm exposed to better rugby it make me a better player and that is true it will give you better opportunities yeah absolutely yeah but but if i'd um done another 18 months not even that 18 months 16 months i would have got my qualification for wales and i would have played for wales i would 100 percent have been capped by Wales. but but looking back now is that now do you think you made the right decision to go to sell and not play for wales or um from, from a sporting perspective yes uh well it's difficult because i think don't get me wrong, I'm ex- extremely proud to have got five caps for England. Of course. I would love to have got more. Um, yeah. But I can almost I can almost guarantee... You would have got more for Wales? A lot more. Yeah. A lot more. And I've played for England, and the fans are great, and playing at Twickenham's great. It is not a patch on playing at the Millennium Stadium. No, I've, um, I've been at Twickenham quite a few times to watch rugby, Um I've watched England, Australia, South Africa, um, you know, kind of Six Nations. Um, and I've been to the Millennium Stadium it's incredible. to watch England, uh, Wales, England. Mate, different gravy. It's unreal. Mate, different gravy. I, um, I remember when I was eventually capped by England, and I remember vividly running on against Italy um, to get my first cap. And um, it's silent silent it's it's weird that you can stand in the middle of twickenham stadium with a crowd roaring at you and we could have a conversation like this and hear each other wow. and yet you stand in the you play in the millennium stadium and it is absolutely deafening you cannot it hear it's insane and that's it's not even insane. when they close the roof i mean i played there um i was a first i played in the first game with the roof closed and it was Ponapreeth against Thanethley in the yeah. cup final, which Ponapreeth won. <laughs> First cup <laughs> won. Um, uh, that, and to this day, is a bigger highlight than winning my first cap. That's really? Story. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, I loved playing in Wales. I loved playing for Ponapreeth. And winning a cup was, the quite literally, for me, the pinnacle of my career. And that was 60,000 people um, in the Millennium Stadium. Um, and they had the roof closed, and that's not even full, mate. They can hold 90,000 people, sixty thousand people. Not no, they can't. They've been in them. It's about ninety thousand, isn't it? Eighty thousand? No, it's like seventy-four. It's okay. not as big as Twickenham. Twickenham can hold eighty-two. Oh, right, okay. Well, maybe it's fifty, sixty. Well, I'll try it's sixty thousand people. But anyway, well, either way, a, a lot, a lot of people yeah. with the roof closed. It was insane, mate. Insane. I remember that game. It was. It was um, incredible. In fact, I watched it. It was on telly for the first... Well, the, the, I've never watched that game back. Bearing in mind, we had to... If we wanted to record a game, we had to put, get a, buy a VHS player. Oh, yeah. Stick a VHS day. disc uh, cassette in and... Pr- I remember those when I was five. 
yeah, thanks, mate. Oh, you're about 30 again. So I've never watched that game, and it was on the, the highlights, extended highlights were on the um, S4C um, yeah. over Christmas, I think, and I watched it for the first time back. Um, and it was emotional watching, actually, because it was so, one, it was so long ago, and, and I, in my head... So what year was this, this game that you actually played in? Oh, 2002, I think. 2001, 2002. Yeah. Because um, you signed with Pony Preeth in 2001, didn't you? Yeah. Right. And again, they saved my career because I was, I'd had a, um, I, I enjoyed living in Manchester when I was at Sale. I enjoyed playing for Sale. Uh, it didn't work out and it, the club was run really badly. Really, really right. bad. It was a horrendous club, really. Did Jason Robinson join, because he came from league rugby, didn't he? He did, Rugby yeah. League. Yeah, he played. I played with him for a year. Um, wow, what a player. Yeah. I, I mean, again, I remember one time being on the field and he got the ball and I just trying to track him, trying to follow him, having no idea where he's going. He was quick. Mate, he was amazing. just so agile, just like... All over the shop. Yeah, oh, man, everywhere. Incredible, just an incredible, great human being as well. Um, just great bloke, an unbelievable player. Because he won the World Cup uh, Rugby League as well, didn't he? I think so, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. No so I'm really sure fun. he was the first player to uh, do both. He was a great player, mate. Yeah. A great player. And he was obviously signed at sale. It was just run badly. A, gr- a lovely club. Um, good, Great supporters. Um, just run, at the time, just run badly. It, they had a lovely little ground in sale uh, where the, um, the amateur club still play, Haywood Road. Um, that... <laughs> it's not big enough for the premiership so they ended up moving to Stockport taken over by um, a guy called Brian Kennedy which is where the wheels fell off really um, really uh, in, well that it was before that as well it was just run badly and you know they they pissed people around and pissed me around personally do, do you think um, I'm sure right in saying sort of up north it's more rugby league anyway it is it, well, it's all football yeah. So it's all football, and then it's probably rugby league, and then it's probably rugby union. Yeah. So it's it's not as you know in Ebervale or Pontypridd, I could walk into Tesco's for a pint of milk, and I'd be there for an hour because everyone would be talking to, and I know who I wow. am. Okay, and then you couldn't go to sale. And how was that for you when you sort of odd. first had that? Uh, really weird, mate. Really odd because you know, like I said, I'm I'm a pretty humble bloke. I'm I'm quite. Although I'm talking, talking and waffling, I'm quite a nervous bloke and, you know, lack at times certain a bit of, you know, confidence at times. And then... Like the first time someone sort of seen you say, oh my God, it's Doug Bell. Yeah. Oh, like, straight, I mean, I, 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 that must have happened. for selfies on their, like, iPhone no, or anything then. Not but. there, no. But they'd, they'd ask you about the game of the weekend and yeah. are you going to get on against, I don't know, Philly at the weekend? Yeah, or what's so much actually yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and it's... Um, I loved all that, and I, even, all the way through my career, I played a long time, all the way through my career, whenever I started talking to supporters, all I could think of was me watching the boy, uh, you know, going down to the wreck and watching Bath Rugby. When I was a kid, standing on the, on the stands as a 10, 11-year-old kid, you, beforehand, you were allowed to go on the pitch before the game. And I used to take a really? rugby Yeah, I used to take a rugby ball down, and I used to throw the... Whilst, you know, the, the teams are warming up out of the back. I'd be on the field. I'd be on the wreck, you know, p- chucking a ball about and kicking the ball at the post and they let everyone on the field. You wouldn't do it well, now. Yeah. And and I was, and all the crowd were there. And, and I remember what I used to do, I used to dig holes in the pitch and <laughs> I used what? to kick, try, yeah. And I used to kick the ball over the posts and, and everyone would cheer if I got it over the post. So I remember that kind of amateur ethos. And I remember, um, you know, I used to go and I used to, 
every week I buy a program and every week I try and get all the players' signatures. And every in the amateur era, and it still happens to this day, but in the amateur era, all the players would sign your your your, your, your um, program. Yeah. So I always took that whenever it's uh, so. Not, I was always thankful that they did that because I remember just being, being that person. Oh, I was just like. But at this point, he's talk- Gareth Chilcott is talking yeah. to me. He was my hero, Gareth Chilcott. Gareth Chilcott's talking to me. He's telling me, he's asking, do I play rugby? What position I play? You know, uh, do I want to be a, who do I want to play for when I grow up? And I was, and I remember that being just completely inspired by people like that. Um, so even though I was, n- I'm never going to be as big as name as Gareth Chilcott or, or Brian Moore or anybody like that, you know, if I could, if someone's going to talk to me, I'm going to make time for them because, because I know yeah, how important that might be for them. So, yeah, because I think for some people, it's quite um, quite a nerve-wracking thing to, you know, like yeah. we've said, to see, like, like when you were in the back with Jason Leonard. Yeah. That, that doesn't sound quite right, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, if you're even being on the same team as him, you're still like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's... So, yeah. so, and oh that happened God. a lot in Wales. It didn't happen at all in Sale, but in Wales, it would happen... Nearly, whenever I would go walk through the street, go for a pint after a game, you'd always have supporters asking you questions. Um, and you go into Sainsbury in, in, um, um, in Ebervale, it was there was Tesco and Co-op. And if you go in there, you would get stopped and someone would be asking you questions. And I, But I'd always try and have time for people. Yeah. Because I knew how important it was. You, you, you don't want to be... Um known for that guy as well so oh yeah I see Doug Bell in Tesco nah didn't did talk to oh, me I, that was that was my biggest one of my biggest fears was definitely I don't I you hate don't want that reputation. I hate being disliked I cannot stand it when um I always want to be <laughs> just my uh, me mentally I suppose I, you know, I always want to be uh, I always want people want I want to get people to get on with me. I want people to like me. Yeah, of course. I don't I like that. some people don't give a monkeys. Don't give a shit. I don't care if you don't like me. Yeah, but I, 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 I hate I hate the thought of people thinking behind my back or even to my face going, he's a prick. I, 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 I hate that. I do think though when when a lot of people say, no, I don't care what people think about me. You do. <laughs> like uh, let's be fair. Like I don't think anyone really wants to be known as a dickhead. No, some no. Some people like it. Some people like, some people like being um, confrontational. Some people That's in rugby true. circles. Some people like, you know, I've, I've known a lot of characters. Some uh, generally, some people don't give a shit. Like some players, I'm not gonna name them, but some yeah, players cool. I know who just don't care. Wouldn't have time a day for supporters. Don't care that they might think they're a prick. Have no concept yeah that's, that's not the way to be there is it some people like that mate it just is what it is um, I, I, look, I understand if um you know some people are having a bad day and they just like look I, i'll stop for a photo but i really just want to get on with my day because they must have that all the time like a, a yeah. lot of sort of like but i think it goes with the job description mate it does if you're gonna pay if you're gonna get nowadays they're paid a phenomenal amount of money if you're gonna get paid that amount of money and be in the public eye i think it's a responsibility yeah to have a certain amount of time for the fans and the public you, yeah you do need those like uh like the people skills yeah i mean i, I again i i've come from that amateur kind of amateur ethos and yeah. amateur game now they're it's all professional they're professional when they're kids so they need they do need to have that kind of um um public awareness it's, it's I, I do talk to some people i talk to now 
I mean, I've been retired long enough that people don't know me from Adam, which is quite nice. I like being Mr. Nobody. Yeah, I, I could imagine, like, like for your days at Pontypridd and Evervale sort of being stopped and now you could just, you know, could do your thing. Yeah, exactly. But I've spoken to younger players that have absolutely no idea who I am. And I can, there are times where I think to myself, I am either boring the tits off these people or they just don't care. And they're just trying to get away as quickly as possible, which, which I get, but they've got to understand. I think they've got to understand. I think it's a duty responsibility to, to, um, it, it, it's a, it's a cliche when you say the fans pay your wages, but to a degree they do. And yeah, they don't true. really, because it is the owner that pays the wages, but, you know, a large revenue comes from the fans. The and ticket sales and sponsors and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And you have a yeah. responsibility, I think, as an employee, um, to entertain these people. You couldn't imagine if you were, I mean, you're, you're in sales, you wouldn't get, ever go to, um, to you, if you bumped into a, um, a, customer, a customer in a street, you're not going to blank them. No, of course it's, not. And it's no different. And you're not going to be rude to them. It's just, there's, there is absolutely no difference. So um, I think it's a responsibility. But it was always in the back of my head, one, this could end tomorrow. Yeah. And two, I remember what it meant to me as a kid. Of course. And I, I think it's important. Even if I'm not a big time player, the fact that they know who I am and I play for, at the time for Bath or Ponapri, Sale, whoever it is, it's my responsibility. Because... Um, because it might, it might, it might be that different. It might mean that you know, it might be yeah, imagine them going home. And go, I got Duncan's autograph. What a great bloke! I think that's amazing. I think it's amazing. I, I, I did see something quite funny on uh, Facebook actually. Um, someone posted something on your wall, and uh, it was uh, a signed photo of Duncan Bell on eBay. <laughs> it wasn't even me. No, it wasn't even you. No, <laughs> no it was David Wilson. Oh, was that, it was. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't it's even like know good research there, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 I did check out that. <laughs> yeah, seven quid as well. I was like, oh, bloody hell! Did, we didn't want to buy it. No, I, no. Well, we're going to start bidding more for that one. No, I can't even sign my signature anymore, mate. I got to do it in capital letters. My, my writing's terrible. <laughs> did, did like I, I suppose like go back to like Pontypridd and Evervale when, when you know people wouldn't have asked for selfies. Was it mainly just sort of like asking for autographs or not even? Yeah, that? that's what it was, mate. Yeah, or, or it was either autographs from the kids or someone had won a thirty-second conversation uh, about the game or the game coming up yeah it was more it was more of a conversation or a signing autograph rather than can i have my kind of a selfie with you please so that even even at the end of my career mate 2012 when i finished playing for bath there wasn't really camera phones from memory i don't really remember having many selfies taken not really they might have been coming in the posh ones might have been coming in i'm just trying to think now because i think the I first think the iphone like, might have been around just possibly i think the first like camera phone as such was Probably was Sony Ericsson and, and it was an adapter that you plugged into oh, the yeah, bottom of the phone. Be, yeah. But that was back in maybe 2006, seven, I think. I think. Yeah. There was uh, it, certainly, I don't remember many. I certainly I remember signing yeah, a lot was, of autographs. It was, it was, but it was, it, that was before that, actually. So there I weren't many. I didn't get many selfies, mate. There weren't many selfies. Now it's all selfies. Yeah. Cool, that's, but then. I, I don't none. think many people ask for autographs anymore. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really in that mix anymore. Um, I, I think if if I met like I was having a conversation with um, yeah, it's more selfies, isn't it? You yeah. want a picture on your phone, wouldn't you? If yeah. I, I was having a conversation with uh, with a, with my girlfriend uh, a little while ago, and um, on YouTube there's loads of videos of um, you know when when people meet their idols and they say, oh my god, and I, was, and I said to her, I said like I can't think of one person 
like that I would meet and I'd be like that. And she looked at me as I was chatting shit. <laughs> and uh, I was like, what? And she said, Nate Diaz. I was like, all right, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wouldn't, um, oh, see, I, no, a selfie would be first. Yeah. And then I'd probably say, oh, mate, can you sign like... Yeah, but the thing is, you couldn't... Unless you brought a disposable camera along or a proper camera, you wouldn't have a picture with anyone. It would be an autograph. And and nowadays, I don't carry a Sharpie around me. No. But but then I suppose if I was going to... Like when I went to New York and went to Henzo's gym, I think if I was going to go to, you know, like the Nick Diaz Academy and possibly bump into it, I'd be like, I will be prepared. I will have a pen. (laughs) I will have something for him to sign. And a selfie stick. Yeah, and I'll wear a nappy unless I piss myself. <laughs> yeah, so I would... Um, it is about selfies nowadays. Yeah, yeah. But then, then it wasn't because... Uh, but it was... Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed part, that part of it. I, You know, I, I was always a little bit self-conscious, but I was I enjoyed, you know, talking to the kids. Like, yeah. talking to the kids because that's what Gareth Chilcott did to me when I was 10 years of age. I, I, that's good, though, just because you, you remember. Yeah. That that is what it was like for you. mm yeah, um, from Cell, um, you went to then you went to Pontypridd. Saved my career again, second time, yeah, second yeah. most club to save me. Nice um, European Challenge Cup, and who'd you lose to? Sale. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> what was that? Uh, 2002, 2003? 2002, Yeah, so we, well, we won the cup. So they were back to back weeks. So I said about winning a cup with Pontypridd against the Nethley yep. at the Millennium Stadium with the roof closed. Um, the week after that, we was the European. Cup or the European Shield final at the Kassam Stadium. So against Lin- what was it called? Lin- I could never pronounce that word. Well, I, I struggle with Nathalie. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Welsh Challenge Cup, was that the one? It was the Principality Cup, I think it was okay. at the time. Or Swept Cup. Uh, it was basically the FA Cup of, uh, of Welsh rugby. It yeah, was... Yeah. Um, we, I can't remember who we played, like uh, genuinely. But uh, I remember playing Thalethley in the in the final and, and winning, and we were massive underdogs. Yeah. Um, and they had some. They had Scott Quinnell, uh, Stephen Jones, Rupert Moon. I think was playing. Uh, Martin Madden, Robin McBride, Crikey, uh, Chris Wyatt. They had a, they had a like Big team. the Boobiers were playing. They had a, they had an amazing team, full of Welsh internationals, and we had an amazing team that ended up being amazing. Like you look at the team that I was playing with at Ponapree that we had, um, ended up being British Lions, uh, okay. numerous Welsh caps. We had Gethin Jenkins, absolute legend, prop, British Lion, Welsh. But Mevin Davis probably had 40, 50 caps for Wales, but all not at the time. Right. Um, Brent Cobain, so was it, was Mike, it just uh, was it Was it mainly um, people who were starting their careers? Yeah, we had a really young side. Yeah. Uh, Pontypridd we're, we're a team of a lot of local lads um, but were um, there, were, there were no internationals inside no so how old were you when you started Pontypridd 27 26 yeah 26 ish something like that 26 uh, 22 2001 so 26 27 yeah, yeah. so it was um, uh, and again they saved me because I was uh, I'd been let go by sale they were pissing about we're going to sign world class players and never signed anyone um, let me go and I did have an agent at the time. This is the okay. time I had my first agent. and But again, the irony is I had my first agent. He couldn't find me a club. Oh. And I had a phone call out of the blue from Richie Collins, who was, right. um, who was a Welsh international, 50, 60 caps for Wales, was a seven, was coaching Pontypridd at the time, and they needed a prop. And it was just by complete fluke, again, a complete chance. Because I was, again, I was in a position where I was, 
I was going to have to get a job. I was going yeah, to... Yeah, spoons. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Free beer. <laughs> so um, was there much of a gap then if, um, like, from cell to point and breathe, or was it literally just one straight neck? Straight to the other. Luckily, yeah. I didn't... I missed one paycheck, which was hard work. Yeah, but, um, really. But, yeah, but not the time, mate. It was okay, true, just yeah. had a baby. Um, and... Uh, and all it was was Sale were playing on the telly on when they were on Sky, and it, um, it was mentioned that. And I came off the bench against for Sale. It was I think it was the last game of the season. Okay. And it was a case of and Stuart Barnes who was commentating said, and Duncan, "Here comes Duncan Bell, and um, rumor has it that he's not going to be staying at Sale. You know, he's out of contract at the end of the year. Blah 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 blah. Hasn't found a club yet. Worse to that effect. Richard yeah. Collins, who was coach of Ponapri at the time, saw that, remembered. And then whilst he was, I think he was trying to get players in, needed a prop, then down the line at the end of the season, where I was shitting bricks, frankly, because I didn't have a contract, yeah. said, do you want to come and play for Pontypridd? I was like, yep. Decent. Yeah, get yeah. In. How much you want to pay? Just, what are you going to pay me? And yeah. Um, I think I signed for 30 grand. Um, so, so even though like, you've done this yourself, did, did your agent still have to take a cut? Or? <laughs> Um, he took, um, I think he, yeah, like a finder's fee, even though he didn't. Nothing. He didn't find anything. No, he didn't. It was all, it was, again, it was all complete fluke. It was just, because again, back in the day um, when um, the under 21 coach at Quinn's bumped it, had a landlord who happened to be at Ebervale. This was a case of he was up, you know, the, co- the Pont and Breathe coach was watching on the telly, complete fluke. Otherwise, I'd be, I would have been completely surplus to requirements and saved my, and Pont and Breathe saved my, Ebervale saved my career, Pont and Breathe saved my career. Um, and and I was very very fortunate. I ended up playing at Pontypridd, with quite frankly ended up being a world class team. The players in that team yeah, yeah. ended up being world class, um, but no, at the time no one had ever heard of them. And they, what and I mean this, what a place to play rugby, Sardis Road. Really? Oh my god, mate! Like I'm I'm a posh little English boy from and Norfolk I, from Norfolk yeah. um, and Hawkesbury um, and uh, d- by the way it doesn't matter where you're from in England you are a posh little boy if you go and play rugby in Wales no, that's true um, yeah. and um, you know and the Welsh took me on board at Ebervale brilliantly and especially at Pontypridd um, it helped that we were playing great rugby and winning most weeks um, but I was the I was the kind of the outsider but I was the English boy that was playing for Pontypridd so they used to start I mean I've never had a song sung about me but they used to sing on the touchline or on the in the stands they used to sing Duncan is a Welshman Duncan is a Welshman wow. Duncan is a Welshman la 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 that's great and I was just like going oh my god this is absolutely incredible I absolutely I can't express how much I loved that club and loved playing there um and the rugby we played there were brilliant we won the the Principality Cup, the the Welsh Cup. Yeah, we should have won the uh, the European Shield against Sale. We dominated them all game and ended up. Uh, Jason Robinson and um, and Charlie Hodgson was the outside half. Ended up basically turning the game and but a game we should have won. We dominated, um, and we finished. You know, we played in Europe and it was just you know we played um, some amazing rugby. And the only reason I, I ended up living there for seven years. Um, but only playing there for two. So, oh, right, okay. Just because I loved the area and the Welsh people were incredibly um, hospitable and just an amazing p- uh, bunch of people. 
And that's why we ended up staying there. In the end, I had to move because I was the only, I, the traveling was killing me back and forth to, to Bath. But the reason why I left was because it was club rugby and then it was announced it was going to be provincial. So no one knew what the hell was going on. Um, I didn't know what was going on. I was out of, out of contract. I was renegotiating and the club were like, well, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know if we're right. going to sign you or not because we don't know if it's going to be provincial. Welsh rugby was in an absolute mess. If it wasn't in a mess, I probably would have stayed. Even though Bath came in for me and my hometown club, someone I'd always wanted to play rugby with, I was like, I'd rather stay at Pontypridd. It was like, you know, since I was meeting Gareth Chilcott on the, on the touchline and getting his autograph as a 10-year-old kid, wanted to play for Bath Rugby. Yeah. All of a sudden, Bath Rugby come into me and I'm like, I don't know if I want to sign. I want to stay at Pontypridd. And the only reason I didn't was because of the mess Welsh Rugby was in. Right, okay. And thank God I did sign for Bath because... Um, it ended up being that the next season was ended up being provincial. They ended up being the Celtic Warriors, and the Celtic Warriors were the best team in Wales. And after half a season, they disbanded them. So wow. I would have signed, and then my contract would have been torn up. I mean, we speak to some of the boys at the the Warriors at the time. They were quite literally told one day, right? Th this that's club is job done. That's you, you're done. And they were they were. Then Frog, all the other regions had their pick. They would say, "Right, you, we're going to take it, take it your contract on." So it was like a, it was almost like the NFL draft. It was like, "Well, we'll have him. We'll have that one. We'll have that one." So there were players that came out of it going, "No one wants me." That's was it. A, contract so was drawn up. Was that the following year or two years after? That was the following season. Only after a couple of months. So it ended up being a really good decision leaving Pontypridd but not for the decision I wanted to leave Pontypridd yeah. for it was just it was just the the, the Welsh the, the, the Welsh Rugby Union and the, the, the way they were doing things was in absolute turmoil and so obviously you were at, you were at Bath anyway when that happened when yeah 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 so did was, that still sort of like uh, like because you had such a soft spot for that club, or yeah, I was devastated for yeah. them. Yeah, they, these were mates I've been playing rugby with for two years. All of a sudden, some of them are out of a job. Some of them are literally sorry, done. It's like it's hard work. That's hard then to then all of a sudden go and either find another club during a season, which is impossible by the way, or having to go back to a trade or a in adverse commas a normal job, which some of them had to do. That was a stupid question. Um, is it the same as football when they have like transfer windows? Nope. Uh, well, I think there is. I th uh, well, that I think that was the reason why I ended up when I signed for the Dragons, the last club I ever played for. They had to sign me before a certain window. I think you have to. I think you have a register rather than a transfer window. I think you have a registration day. You have to register a certain amount of players before a certain date. Right. Otherwise, you can't do it afterwards. I th I, I don't think there's a. I think that's the only registration. It's just a registration. Day. I don't know, Matt. I'm not a bureaucrat. Thank God. <laughs> that's fair enough. But Bath, you were there for nine years. I was there nine years, yeah. Um, ups and downs at Bath. It's a funny old club. I love it. Uh, I love Bath. And uh, as I said, it was the only club I really ever wanted to play for since being a kid. Um, went through some transitions. Great start to my life at Bath. It was, um, you know, they'd just come off the back of a very close relegation the year before. And they signed a load of players. I got taken on by... Uh, Mike Foley and um, uh, John Connolly, who were the coaches, ended up coaching Australia, the pair of them, both Aussies, Aussies uh, took me on, uh, took a lot of other players on, and we walked the league that year. We finished top of the league in 2003, I think it was. Um, walked the league, won it by, I think, eight, nine points. Um, and I think that was the first year of... 
the playoffs, the dreaded playoffs, and uh, I think that's ridiculous. <sighs> well, it's 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 clearly a money. It's it's great value for the fans because it's a money making exercise. More and, games to go and watch, yeah. And more games to go and watch. It's knockout, so there's a bit more riding on it. But yeah, it's a bit. I mean, I, I unfortunately only had one experience of finishing top, which was that year. And we walked the league, mate. We dominated everyone. Uh, not everyone, but, you know, we only lost a couple of games and um, we we smashed, we beat people up. We, we we won comfortably in places and, you know, we were we had a great season. And uh, it's slightly changed now, but then it was um, the top team finished top, obviously, and went straight to the final. And then the next four teams would then play off almost like the traditional playoffs now. So, the you know, the second then would play... Uh, Sixth, is that right? Second, third, fourth, uh, fifth. Sorry, I have to do maths here. Yeah. Second would play fifth, and third would play fourth. And one of those two would then play in the final to then go and meet us in the final. So there were, um, and then it was a bye week as well. So there were, the, uh, we didn't play rugby for three or four weeks. So we finished top and then almost had, like, you know, we haven't got a game for a month. Whereas the other teams were having still being active, still being active. So we went into, I remember we went into the final completely green and you know, no match fitness because it just it goes pretty quick yeah we still doing obviously quite a bit of training in between though i think they gave us a week off um right. from memory um because you know a long season hard season they gave us a week off then they got us back in i think we had a trial game against newbury um who were in the sort of championship div one at the time and it wasn't it was just really to keep our legs going but it was it wasn't even a trial. It was, you know, three 20-minute periods, stuff like that. So, you know, we literally went into a, a final against Wasps with with no match practice or very little match practice, which was just not fair, really. I think then after that year, they changed it to what it is now, which is a top four. Um, one play four, two play three, and yeah. then they meet in the final. Um, would you... Would you... Do you think it's better the way, like, the football do it? Is it just top, top, top wins? <laughs> There's there's pros and cons for both. I think it's, um, I think players now are so used to it. It is what it is because I, I, the benefits I think of it are that uh, at the moment Premiership clubs still play rugby during the Six Nations, so a lot of clubs don't have their players during the Six Nations. So you might be you might have the best team, yeah. But because you're losing a lot of players to internationals, you might only finish fourth in the league because of that but okay. then be able to win the, I think that's where it benefits teams whereas do you, do you know what I mean about yeah because yeah, yeah. you know because you might have the best team but because you lose half the team for six eight weeks of the year you're never going to or very unlikely to finish top then I guess every team has that mm, do they I mean look at Sale now um They've picked a lot of South Africans, guys that are not right, okay. international players, or sorry, they're not going to be taken away during a Six Nations. So they're going to have, they're going to be really strong during a Six Nations period because they don't lose any players. You talk about South Africa Six Nations. Are they? I've re- I heard that they were joining the Six Nations. Yeah, yeah, I heard that rumor as well. Me, nah, sorry. Well, mate, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Everything's going on with COVID at the moment. I think they're just desperate for, to play rugby, aren't they? Um, it's tough that, you, well, it's different. It, it must be weird playing international, or any rugby. Um, well, not any rugby. Any, if you're a professional rugby player, it'd be weird now playing in front of no people. Oh, it'd definitely. Be really, really odd. I watched, um, um, obviously, they done like the, what, the autumn leagues, 
What's some international? Oh, the um, Nations Cup, is it? Something no. like that, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, new fans, and I just couldn't get into it. Yeah, it was odd. Yeah, it is odd. Um, it's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because I remember watching the games thinking, oh, I'm just a bit bored now. Because you don't get the roar of the crowd, you don't get shots of the crowd. You don't realise, I, well, I didn't realise until it happens that how much you need the crowd. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes players play better I think okay. I might be wrong but yeah. um, which is weird because when you're playing in front of all those people you don't really see or hear the you do at times but you don't really see or hear the crowd because you're only you're in your own little bubble and yeah, playing yeah. rugby so you don't really take it all in um, but then you must do because I think players um, you know they um, they take fuel from it so yeah Mate, it's, it's, it's got a like you know, like you said, when you're in a principality and it's absolutely roaring. Oh, man, it's it's got to yeah, edge you all a bit more. Absolutely, mate. I mean, I, again, I remember that uh, we played the week before. We played um, played Cardiff in the semi final, and again, that was there was a there was a back to back game. There were two games <clears throat> at the Millennium. Uh, I think we played second. Uh, whoever it was played before that, so the two games back to back. And that was my first time I, I think I played at the Millennium. And it was like, wow. And, and that wasn't anywhere near as full. I think it was only half of 30, 40,000. And it was, yeah. st- and with the roof open, it was still incredibly loud. But the week after we against um, uh, Thanethley, it was just different kettle of fish. It was just mental. I remember on the field just not being able to hear a thing, just be too loud. So, like, moving on to like your international career a little bit. Were Such you, as it was. <laughs> <laughs> Would you? Were you maybe a little bit disappointed then when you first walked out into Twickenham? Uh, well, I'm. I'm disappointed. I'll be honest. I'm disappointed with my career. Uh, right. Okay. I am genuinely um, very proud. I represented England and everything, but disappointed yeah. on on the, in the main. Um, but was I disappointed? Um, After sort of playing like at club level at the principality, thinking, "Wow, this is amazing!" Walking out with. The England team are thinking, yeah. It's, 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 again, I keep on using that word surreal. It is, it is odd. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a strange feeling because I, um, I don't know really what to say about it. It's just, um, Obviously, I'm very proud of playing for England. I oh, am. You got to be. Yeah, I am. I don't, don't get me wrong. It, it, it sounds like I'm being really negative about it. I'm, I'm trying not to be. Obviously, I'm proud. Um, I, I, I think my career could have been better. I think I could have got more caps, but it, ultimately, it is what it is. Um, I just, I just struggle with. I don't remember it to be honest. I, okay. I really struggle to remember many games. Uh, it sounds like I remember a lot of games, but I actually don't. Yeah. Um, I don't remember again that, that the Italy game, which was my first cap. I don't remember anything of other than what is that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Re- I don't remember much about my career. I, le- I remember little bits. I don't remember much. That was about fifteen years ago, two thousand five. Two thousand uh, two thousand and five. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but was that the first time you actually walked out onto the pitch with the players, even to take the bench? Uh, yeah, so in '98, which I was on a tour of hell, I was on the bench against Australia, and we got drubbed seventy six nil. I yeah. didn't get on. Um, so, but I don't think I don't think I stood in the anthems. I don't remember if I did or not. 
Um, I don't think I did. What, why was that so bad? Why do you think it all just went tits up? Well, the tour hell? Yeah. Well, we're all kids. Is that what it was? Yeah. We look at this side. From who was in that? So Graham Roundtree, uh, Cockrell, who was a bit older. Roundtree was younger. Phil Vickery was a young kid. Then there was Danny Grucock was a young kid. Gareth Archer was my age, a young kid. And then there was Richard Paul Jones, Pat was, Sanderson. We're all young kids, mate. So it's similar to the Pontly Preeve, though. Like those names there, if you look now. Yeah. Johnny like, Wilkinson played one legends. of his first caps. Absolutely. Like legend of the game. Martin but, Dawson. But just Matt, not. Sorry, Martin Dawson. Matt Dawson. Um, just not right then. No, Matt Perry, who, ended, who until very recently, I think was the high, most capped English fullback ever, played in the centre. Um, who else played? Uh, well, Danny Grucock, God knows how many caps. Hardly had any caps at the time. Graham Roundtree had a nearly, he had nearly 100 odd caps. Yeah, great, he great. Had hardly any caps. Vickery, absolute legend. Um, hardly any caps. So, so um, not yet, you would have been 24? Yeah, 23, 24. All young kids, mate. Um, who else was, was flying around? Um, so that was Clive Woodward, oh, right? um, uh, Austin Healy was great, on the tour. Great player. Young, young kid. Yeah. Right, well, yeah, Clive Woodward was the coach. It was all, it was all young kids. So all the, um, all the mainstay of the England squad were basically given the summer off. Um, so it was it was like an England B or even C team that they took right. out, and it was it had never been done before. They they were going to play Australia two tests against New Zealand and one against um, South Africa with games in between. It was like a mini Lions tour, Whoa. the way it's set out, and you know it was quite a busy tour. That it was exactly we were out there for something like two months. It was it was a massively long tour, um, and really badly run. <laughs> it was it was it was so amateur. Um, the whole tour, uh, but it was um, my first taste of international international rugby. So I was chomping at the bit, and um, yeah. just a huge letdown. It was just all really very strange and really badly run. I guess um, you felt a bit disappointed when you came home. Yeah, it was, especially not having it set my career there. back actually for a while because I got I got really despondent about it, and um, and ended up not yeah just knocking me for six a little bit i always remember the uh again this is pre-internet mate so there was no internet yeah. so there was rugby world mag uh, and they had a little and someone phoned me up and said oh mate have you seen the seen rugby world i was like oh, no God. he goes oh mate don't look at it i was like well of course what do you do then yeah you're gonna look, you're gonna look aren't you yeah so i remember going into wh smith and um Getting a rugby world mag, obviously didn't pay for it. Just looked at it, yeah. <laughs> like we all did. Um, yeah. Just just looked at the bit where I was mentioned, and it was a uh, um, you know like they do nowadays to give you marks out of ten for games and stuff like that. And it was yeah, a mark yeah. out of ten for uh, um, for how well you did on the tour. And bearing in mind, I got in. I played that. Sorry, I was on the bench against Australia, which was the first game. I was then selected to play against New Zealand A the week after, and did my AC joint in training because fucking stupid fucking training mate the training on that tour was just mindless mate it was too much or it was just amateur mate just oh, oh mate it was embarrassing you look but if you look at it now mate you'd be embarrassed by it and supposedly world-class coaches oh my god um and uh so anyway so yeah and i popped my suit and didn't play so i pl ended up playing 40 minutes of rugby the entire tour out there for three months or two months getting smashed up every day in training, act, being act, spoken to like a little kid. It was a fucking joke. Uh, very bitter about it. You, <laughs> might, you might be able to tell. Just a little um, bit, yeah. And um, play 40 minutes rugby. And 
oh, that story. Oh, okay, so obviously I'm injured, and Clive Woodward, right? I'm on the bench again. It's the last time before the the last Test match out in South Africa. It's the last game in New Zealand, and I'm not going to play any rugby the whole tour. So it's like, and I was on a bench against New Zealand Academy again. That academy side was incredible. It went on to be All Blacks, amazing. But anyway, yeah. um, say we get big players, just yeah, young kids, yeah. and it was the one. It was the one game we had a chance of winning, and we ended up getting drubbed. But um. I came on at half time and the only reason I came on was because there was an injury. So I, I was just resigned to the fact that I wasn't going to play any rugby that tour. And Clive Woodward came up to me and at half time goes, right, Belly, you're on. I went, oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Clive. Yeah. And he goes, uh, that shot all right? I was like, yeah, yeah, it was fucked. I stayed on that <laughs> tour. I, there was no way I should have stayed is on that, that tour. Is that the surgeries that you've had, the, the scars that no, you've no. got? Is that the ones or...? Just uh, they, they didn't have. I ended. Uh, sorry, I, in the end, I ended up having my AC taken out. I had it shaved off, but not because of that right, okay. incident. It was down the line. Um, about three years later, I had it shaved off. Um, but uh, yeah, and Clive was like, "Belly, you, you're on halftime." Th- thanks, Clive. Thanks very much. But I won't lay down. He goes, "Don't let me down." I went, 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 Clive. How's that shoulder? Yeah, it's absolutely fine. Bearing in mind, I had two shoulder pads on. I strapped up. Oh, two really? Because I was desperate to play for England, mate. Yeah, of course, were. Yeah. But I do anything to stay on that tour. Because I wanted to play desperately. I was doing all the training. I was fucked. My shoulder was hanging off by the end of it. And and he goes to me, uh, yeah, how's that shoulder? I said, yeah, fine. And he goes, good. Because if you come off with that shoulder injured, you'll never play for England again. Wow. What a, what a and statement. I, and I was like, mate, you prick. Why would you say that to anyone? Yeah. Just And I was a young kid anyway. I wouldn't say that to a senior pro, let alone a little kid. And it was just the whole, that, and that was just, systematic and endemic of the entire tour the way we were, we were all trained, treated like complete amateurs and kids but anyway um so yeah that it, it set me back and um we got ended up getting drubbed i didn't come off because i couldn't because i've never played rugby before. <laughs> um and thank god it was over and um yeah and uh came back it did set my career but it, it really um it really got me down and then looking at that bloody rugby world magazine so i opened up the page and it had all the players, a little, a little name of the player, then underneath a little synopsis from Mark out of 10, and, yeah. and, and all the way down. What, for the whole and tour? For the for every single player on the on the tour. So there was yeah. about 20-odd players, 30-odd players, whatever it was. And mine was the very, very last one at the bottom, on the second page. Right. And it just said, Dunk, and it had Duncan Bell, and then it had a rating, and it was just, there was a dash. There was no rating. Oh, <laughs> it didn't even give not, me a Not even a zero. Not even a, not even a zero. And it said Duncan Bell, and in the box underneath, it just read Duncan who? Wow. And I was like, fuck, that is a kick in the nuts. That's brutal. Yeah, people don't realise how much it hurts, stuff like that. Things were, it'd be worse now. I mean, Twitter was never around or Facebook wasn't really around when I was in 2012 when I shouldn't finish playing rugby. And I can imagine, I used to take things to heart really badly. Written in the press and the papers, um, if it was written about you, you played badly. But now, you can have the best game of your life and be told you're a twat on Twitter you know it's just I can imagine it's really bad now but I I don't think I'm built for this modern age because I would take I take things so personally right. I get, like I said earlier about, about wanting everyone to like me yeah. if, if I had saw someone something written bad about me I just take it to heart so that really one it stayed with me quite clearly but I remember at the time thinking I was de- I was properly devastated like really well, be, really devastated about that and the, the thing is as well it's, it's not like you went on that tour, you done all the training. And it's not, it's not your fault, I suppose, that you didn't get more game time. 
Mate, do you know, the reason why I did my... Sh- this is how amateur the training was, right? So right. we got drubbed 76-0 against Australia. Bearing in mind, we had players playing out of position. We're all young kids. We had trained with each other for five weeks. I was on a bench. <laughs> and bearing in mind, I was on a bench covering the front row. Yeah. And um, we were obviously doing it. We did lots of pr- loads of training beforehand. But the morning of the game, we did a little line-out session. And the morning of the game was the first time I had run the line-out plays and lifted what? the second rows. Yeah, the morning of the game. That's how amateur it was, mate. We d- it was like everything was f- like the 15. 15 do this, 15 do that, 15 do this. Bench players, you you you, you have to know it. It's like, well, we need to do it. To yeah, be- of course. But we never did until the morning of the game. And that's how badly we were. So the, we got drubbed 76-0. We flew to New Zealand. Um, got off the got off the plane and because we'd been drubbed by seventy six nil, they absolutely flogged us in a training session. Um, and then the next day it was like, right, you're obviously all shit at defence and tackling, so we're gonna do tackling all session. And it was so the tackle drill, I shit you not, was um, what was his name? Phil Larder, I think it was, a defence coach. Yeah, um, loved the gold chain and a bit of bling on his fingers. Oh, right, okay. So he put he set up two cones so there's the tri line and a 22 line and he set up two cones a long line of cones that were about a meter and a half wide so you can imagine it's 22 meters and it's a meter and a half wide long thin tube like that where he goes right yeah. split you up half the boys of that end half the boys of that end right boys of the ball you've got to run as hard as you can and as fast as you can and you're not allowed to sidestep, and you've got to run over the top of the other guy who's going to be running as fast as he can the other direction. Does that look like British Bulldog you played in school? Yeah, exactly what it is, mate. So, of course, consequently, everyone was getting absolutely... Uh. Yeah. So I had... So I was like, well, fucking hell. Okay, so I've got... I've All of a sudden, I've got Steve Ajomo, who's Bath player, Gloucester player. Um, lovely bloke, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And um, he's got the ball at the other end, and I've got to run... You can imagine we've got two 18 stone blokes running at each other under a mile an hour. What's going to happen? Yeah, so yeah. he ran at me, I ran at him. We met somewhere in the middle, and he dropped his shoulder, give it the old Maori sidestep. Yeah, bang, yeah. my AC snapped. See you oh, later. Right, okay. It's just like this fucking mindless training. And now that, that was the that was the that was the 98 tour, mate. That was How long had Clive Woodward already been coached for? Uh, don't know, a year maybe. So we're were those sort of training, like... He didn't do any training, mate. He wasn't a coach. So what was he doing then? He was just a manager. Oh, okay. Did, he didn't do any coaching on the field. Um, He just managed... He was a he was a great manager. Ended up winning World Cup. Well done. Yeah, of course he did, yeah. Uh, put systems in place to allow the players to thrive and put the coaches in place to do so. But he didn't do any coaching. None. So did, did all guess it, obviously after that, like... Let's be fair, absolute shit show of a tour. Um, he just got new coaching staff in, or did he just change? It was the what? Same, I think it was the same coaching staff in the end. Um, I can't remember, mate. It's so long ago. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I think the coaches were the same. England had that. When did they win the World Cup? Two thousand three. Yeah, yeah. So they had. Uh, he he just started, so he was putting things in place to get them in, get in a much prof, more pro, um, professional environment to be able to, you know, facilitate those great players: John O'Neill, back Johnny Wilkinson, yeah. all those guys, all the, those world the class, golden era of ru- English rugby. They really were, That's and great. he was he he was 
Clive Woodward was brilliant in putting those systems in place, but let's be honest, he had a, he had great players to choose from and great players, yeah. but he still had to do it. Of course he did. Um, but I just, you know, it was just, um, that 98 tour was a shower of shit and it was really badly run. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was just poor. So from like 2004, you did get picked for England A, didn't you? Against France I did. However. Yeah. I didn't play. You said no, you didn't want it. Yeah, I did, yeah. Why? Well, so I had um, obviously had that terrible experience in 98 with yeah. England. And I'd been in and around the England squad ever since then. And I, to be fair, all the way through my career, I ended up being in and out of the England squad. Um, named in training parties and what have you. And i very, again, very proud of my five caps, but I was always a nearly, I was a nearly man. I was basically in the squads and ended up carrying a bag for the first team to bosh into. And then it was like, you're not needed the weekend belly. So it just is what it is. Just, bit, you know. Obviously a bit disheartening that you sort of yeah. turn up, do it every, every week and every, yeah. but it, I, I do also get the fact that, um, you know, you're not, you're not kids. It's not a case of like, Oh, we have played, let's get him on the pitch. So he's happy. It's, it's no. still like, yeah. You're gonna. I get it. As a coach, you play who you think your best players are, and yeah. the coaches never thought I was the best player, so they didn't pick me. Quite obviously, it is what it is. I can't help that. It just is what it is. So who who was playing the opposition? Phil Vickery okay. and Julian White, basically the two players there. So they bounced off each other really well. Phil was Vix was great round the paddock. Scrummed okay, but he was great round the paddock. Hell of an engine on him. Yeah. Whereas Vix, you know he wasn't great around the paddock but what he would do he could scrummage so they worked off each other really well so, you yeah. know Vix would do lots of decent stuff in the loose make hundreds of tackles and ball carries hold the scrum up whereas Vix would come on and murder people uh, sorry not Vix there uh, Julian White would come on and, uh, and and murder people so um, <clears throat> and they worked really well together and you know it was only when they were injured then I would get you know kind of involved so um and also it was uh, uh back then it was only one prop on a bench so oh, even right. even if one wasn't if one was injured or one wasn't picked they normally didn't put me on a bench because roundtree could normally cover both sides so i was i, I needed two of them to be injured to get my spot which only happened five times so um but like we said that's still like amazing oh yeah don't get me wrong it is yeah but i was always like you said, nearly there. Yeah, if I'd been miles off, it wouldn't be so bad. But because yeah. I was always number three, really. Right. It was always it was always frustrating. Always so frustrating. you said one prop on the bench, but they still have a replacement hooker. They don't. Yeah. So what they used to have, they used to have hooker and a prop on a bench, and a prop, yeah. and that was about it. Um, that was it. Uh, and so it was only, I don't know, two thousand and. Even 2009 when I played, it was only one on the bench, I think. Um, it must have been about 2012-ish, 2011 when they had two props on the bench. So it's really modern phenomena. Um, before that, it was only ever one prop. Um, but yeah, you turned on the England East. I well. did, yeah, sorry, yeah. yeah so yeah, um, I, uh, and that was all to do with Wales. I was still living in Wales at that time. Right. Uh, um, even though I'd moved to Bath in 2003, I ended up living in in Ponapri until 2008, I think. So several years I was travelling to and from Bath, but in the end, the travelling got too much. How, but, how long did it take you to drive? Well, initially it was 
uh, not too long about an hour but then it was just getting it was the traffic was getting worse and worse and worse for whatever reason and it just taking too long and it was you know training all day long and spending three hours in a car every day it's hard work yeah of course um so in the end it was just like we got to do we got to bite the bullet and we ended up selling and moving initially it wasn't too bad because there was john humphreys who was um who's now coaching wales who was living by me uh um another guy called christian balshan christian loader Geraint Lewis, who was also at Ponapreeth when I was there. So there were five of us who were playing for Bath, but living in Wales, all really close to each other. So we used to carpool. So it was only... That's not too uh, well. Yeah, exactly. When you had it's to, still the time, though. Yeah, but when you had to drive once a week, the rest of the time you just go to sleep in a car. So, But in the end, you know, um, Christian Bauschen left, and then Christian Loder left, Geraint Lewis left, John Humphreys retired, and it was just me. And I was just the only one, and I was so I was having to drive there and back every day. And driving is, I think, more physical and harder work, concentrating. It is tiring than going to sleep in a car for an hour. So yeah. it was just it was just getting too much, and you know, changing. But anyway, so I was in two thousand four selected. I said, no, I'm going to play because at the time I got, um, I was then I th- I must have got my residency or there thereabouts uh, in Wales, and I was um, selected to go to Argentina. Okay. And um, in the Welsh squad, unofficially. Um, and But they were trying to get me through the residency process. I'd been a resident for a while, but I was they were trying to get me... Um, a spa- I, was, I was uncapped. I hadn't been capped in um, 2004. Um, but I had sat on a bench for England, and I'd been on an England tour. Now, in 98, it didn't matter. So in 98... Uh, up until 2001 you could play for as many countries as you liked you could play for your country of birth uh, and then you could sit residency for three years and once you'd done that you could play for the for the international nation whoever it was so so you could literally just go like oh this year yeah. play for England next year so there were well. I think is it Grant Bashup uh, played it for New Zealand ended up playing for Western Samoa uh, Tuagamala playing for New Zealand ended up playing for Western Samoa so lots of players done it and yeah. continue to do it now the rules changed in 2001 but what was gr- very grey and ambiguous was anything before that. So I got to 2004, done my residency, uh, and we were—I had done it just before that. But the, the, the tour had come up, and they wanted to play me, and um, uh, and then I think uh, the IRB stepped and said, "You can't pick him. He's played for England." I said, "No, I haven't." And I went, "Well, you have." I said, yeah, but that was 98. You brought the new yeah. rules in in 2001. So you're retrospectively penalising me for something which wasn't a rule in 98. That's, that is unfair. And for 40 minutes of rugby. And f- for 40 minutes in an uncapped game. Yeah, and um, And they said, yeah, it is what it is. Take us to court. So I said, all right. You so did. I was, well, I was going to take him to the European... Uh, sporting European Court of whatever it is, yeah, um, for, for arbitration, and but it's going to cost me a fortune. And the, the WRU said we'll back you here, yeah, um, but it never. I was never picked up, and they never. They I don't think they ever were going to put their hand in their pocket. So it, I could have done it, and it probably would have cost me twenty odd grand. And I thought that's oh, a lot of money. And yeah, yeah this is twenty grand in two thousand four. Bearing in mind, I'm being paid like thirty grand a year. So it was, um, it was just too much, and I, um, and I couldn't do it. And it, and and as a coincidence, I also had a call from Scotland. I got Scottish ancestry, so at the oh, really? time I was like, 
you know, Wales want me to go on a tour of Argentina. Scotland now want me to play for them on a tour for them. And, and you know, there it is. And I'm, and, and I'm trying to play. In, I want to play international rugby. I don't see a future for me in England because of Phil Vickery and Julian White, yeah. ultimately. And I never really fit. And I also didn't really get on with Clive Woodward and, and, and that sort of setup. And, um, and I just, well, you, you just did gel. Well, would you? If someone said to you at no, that, when, as a true. kid, fuck that. Um, and so I was like, you know, do you know what? I I'm, I want to play for Wales. I wanted to play for Wales. I, I still lived in Wales. I had a great affinity with the Welsh. They're great people, great nation. Um, and I really, really loved playing for Pontypridd and I really loved being in the area. I didn't want to move. I, I hadn't moved then at that point. And, um, and they just, they um enforced the rules retrospectively and i couldn't do it unless i took him to court and it was just going to cost too much and i didn't want to and i couldn't afford it basically I, if i had the money it was an, if i had a, uh, a blank checkbook would i've done it 100 percent. i would have done yeah, it yeah yeah do you but think I, you would have won do you think you would have well, got I, I don't i don't know mate I, I mean i did speak to a solicitor and they said that um well, you've got a great you've got a great opportunity here because one is a restriction of trade, but also they're implying rules retrospectively. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Um, really, if they, if they put that rule in place, they should action it from that year. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can't, I don't know, you can't do St. John's way and turn it from a, um, from a 60 to a 40 and have someone on camera three years ago and they went, oh, they're going 60 three years ago, so we're going to nick them for speeding. It's, it's, yeah. it's kind of the same thing. And it's just, it was unfair. I felt it was unfair. And um, and people agreed with me, but I didn't have the money to do it. So I did turn England A down uh, yeah. because th- at that time, if you played for England A or, or a nation second team, that tied you into the nation. So if I'd accepted England... A, there would be no chance. There'll be no chance of playing anywhere else. So I said, no, no, no. I'm going to play for Wales here. Um, that's what I want to do, and that's why I was going through all, this, all the negotiations with the IRB at, IRB at the time, and then it didn't obviously come off. So, uh, and that's the reason why I turned them down. But I did then play a, a year later. Um, for, uh, well, I had no opportunity. It was either England or nothing. So I was like, yeah. well, I've got to put them in England. But it sounds like I'm being really um, bitter about playing for England. I'm not. I'm just. I wanted to. I felt there was more international opportunity playing in Wales and I was living in Wales. So why wouldn't I do that? And, um, um, yeah, it makes me sound like I'm, it does. I can hear it in my voice. I, I, it makes me sound like I'm, Ooh, I don't want to play for England. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, but that's not that. It was yeah, just but then like, I, if you, and I do agree with you, I think the fact that if you did play for Wales, um, you would have got more caps. It would have definitely sort of like upped your, um, portfolio. I suppose, yeah. No, I but it, it, it would, would expose me to better rugby. That goes back to what my old man said to me when I left Ebervale to go to sale. I've been exposed to better rugby. If I played more caps, I'd be been exposed to um, better rugby. I'd have been playing international rugby. I would have been around an, um, an international training camp more often and, and would have improved as a player. So um, that's what I wanted to do. And it just didn't happen. So... Oh, I ended up having to play for England, didn't I? Oh, God. <laughs> what oh, nightmare. Oh, poor Duncan. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the 2005, uh, you did play the England A versus France A. Yep, scored a try. I don't like to talk about it. Man of the match. Yep, it's what it is. All in a day's work. (laughs) Um, and then that same year, um, Six Nations. That's when I got my cap. So, uh, uh, yeah, played for England A against France A. Um, scored a try. Um, that England A, France A must be quite early on in the year if then you still played for the... I can't remember, mate. 
no idea. I um, uh, I just remember getting caught. I, I just got caught. no because I turned. I kept on turning them down. Right. Um, and then, then I in the end I was like, this ain't going to happen with Wales. I can't afford it. it ain't going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I'm available. Um, and then they picked me for for England A against France. They played really well. I did have a really good game from memory. Um, scored a try, got man of the match um, uh, on the telly. And then, I don't know if there was an injury. I just got selected on merit. I can't honestly remember. And I was um, on a bench against Italy and um, ended up coming on. Um do you remember how far into much you did come on? I think about I think I had about twenty minutes. I think I came on at about sixty minutes. The game was already won. It was against yeah, Italy, yeah. and um, but then you started for Scotland. Started the weekend after, yeah, against Scotland. So, um, uh, yeah, which was again, I don't, I don't remember anything of it. That's all. <laughs> no, uh, but played the game, um, and then. I, I can't remember the games at all. Like I have no recollection. I, honestly, I have no... The Italy game, I remember... Come, uh, what I remember about the Italy game was running on the field. So when I came on, I ran on the field. I remember then thinking to myself, I'm an international. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm you, not, I, you, they you, can't take that away from me. Real. Yeah, I, I can't... Uh, I'm thinking, oh my God, I've, I'm, now, I'm now a bloody international. Yeah. Um, and then all I think about afterwards was I got to get another cap because I can't be a one cap wonder. No, I just um, yeah. And then I got the Scotland cap, obviously, and um, that's two. And then and that was the end of the Six Nations. And but that season I played really well. And um, and then we play. Then I went on the tour of Australia, another shit show tour. Oh right, okay. <laughs> oh, mate. Honestly, it's 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 like um, I know we were talking off um, Mike earlier on, but. Being in and around the England setup is not. I don't know what it's like now because obviously I ain't there. But what my experience of being in and around the England setup, the irony was it was more amateur than the club game, um, which is crazy. Yeah, it was odd, mate. Because that two thousand five, it was only two years previous that they won the World Cup. Yeah, the the problem they had England had was it was run by bureaucrats, and it bureaucrats, and it was run by management. So consequently, you ended up, ended up having, because they were supposedly the elite, they ended up having elite coaches, in inverted commas, for every single department of the game. So whereas at club rugby, you had your head coach, which was normally not a coach, which was a manager, which is to be fair what England had. But then you'd have your forwards coach, your backs coach, and possibly a defence coach. You'd have three coaches. With England, you had, um, you had your head coach, which was either... Andy Robinson, Clive Woodward, or Jono, the three coaches I played under. Then you'd have your forwards coach. And I remember specifically in 2009, for instance, you had, um, or 2005, you had um, Roundtree was the scrum and line-out coach. You had John Wells, who was the forwards coach. You'd have um, uh, Mike Ford, who was defence coach. You'd have Brian Smith, who was a backs coach. You'd have John Callard, who was the 
uh, transition coach. You'd have Which Dave Aldred. Yeah. Dave Aldred was a kicking coach. You'd have a fitness coach. Um, who else would you have? Is there any other aspects of the game? God knows. That's at least seven. So consequently, even if you took the fitness coach out, which you didn't because they always had the warm-up, yeah. you'd have seven aspects. It wasn't like you go into a session and, we're, right, today we're doing defence or we're doing nest. You'd have every session was like you'd have seven different aspects to a session. So whereas at club rugby, you go 45 minutes to an hour, possibly an hour and a quarter, flat out, hard out, um, training, come off, absolutely blown out your ass, both short, sharp and swift. Job done. <clears throat> Learn a lot, trained really hard, get on, get off. Yeah. With England, you're on a pitch for three hours training. That's long. Absolutely battered. And then you'd have a bit of lunch and you'd do the whole thing again in the afternoon. So it's just really badly run, really bad. Because every, every coach felt like, yeah, every coach felt like they had to have their two penny, penny worth. So it was, it was just, instead of being better run, it was like everyone had to showcase their coaching, which was just really odd. But when you had like, um, like I said, the line-out coach and um, scrum coach and things like that, what were the backs doing then? Got whatever backs do. Cup of tea, cappuccino. They were on the other side. They were doing running backs moves or I don't know, doing whatever they do. Um, just, just random drills. Yeah. Um, honestly, random drills, but... I, honestly, yeah, no, mate. That's so, fair enough. Um, but yeah, it was just all really... Um, just really odd because I remember um, uh, the 98 tour aside, even when I moved to Bath and that that's when I started getting in kind of the England setup at that time because they, they wouldn't pick players that were based away from England at all. So when I was in Wales, oh, right. they wouldn't pick, even though I was playing, I, you know, I spoke to Robbo who was a coach I think in 2003, um, speaking to him and he was like, I ain't going to pick you mate because you're not playing in England. Um, I just they how did that make you feel? Was that kind of like oh. just, that was just a rule? Just it still is. Sort of like that. It still is though. Oh, was it? Can't play abroad. You play abroad, don't pick you. So it was, a, it was a kind of the same thing. So I knew I'd made kind of made my bed and laid it, which I guess would would make sense really because um, there's probably loads of them. But the one example I got in my head is uh, Johnny Wilkinson used to play for Newcastle Falcons, and then went over to uh, Toulon. Yeah, in France, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was him retiring from international rugby. I can't remember. He ended up playing again, though. But I, yeah, but well, Haskell went over to Stade Francais. Didn't pick him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, same thing. I did thing. not realise that. Well, I'm not nowhere near as big names as those two guys. But yeah, but yeah, but I had no option, mate. So I was Pontypridd or nothing for me. So, but I just happened to be playing in a really amazing side, playing really good rugby. Wales wanted me to do residency again second time yeah and all of a sudden I'm on the radar for England and Robert's saying man I can't pick you you need to get back to England do you know what you know so it was um so when I whenever I got back when I got to Bath and I you know you hear the players going fucking I gotta go to England next week I'm like really it can't be that it can't be like it was in 98 surely it's not like it was in 98 yeah surely things have progressed like progressed and it's just and then it's like and and then the guys would be coming back you know and we're going oh god you should have heard the shit I had to go through it and I thought it can't still be like that and things are winding you up yeah and then of course I get you know then I get picked in the squad again and I'm there and I'm cannon fodder and it's like yep same old shit great <laughs> it's just weird mate it just the the way we, a lot of guys thought about it at the time and I kind of get their viewpoint is that club coaches are having to evolve every week you know they have 20 30 games a year different opposition every week they got 
the Premiership, then they've got European games, uh, and you've got the L- what was the LV Cup, the kind of for the young kids to come through. The I think it's the Premiership Cup now, where <clears throat> you know you having to blood youngsters. So there's different competitions where you constantly have to evolve against different opposition every week. So you constantly evolving your coaching techniques. You have to get better every week, otherwise you're left behind. Whereas internationally, you've yeah. got what five games a year, six games a year. Stop really. So you don't do as much coaching. So I kind of get they they might have been at the pinnacle when they got selected as the coach, but because they're not doing as much coaching, well, I, I don't think they're doing as much coaching, then they're not necessarily evolving. It's like anything. You don't work as much or you don't, you don't train as much, then you're you not going to get better. Improve, yeah. So that's where a lot of guys explained it, which I get. Um, Makes sense. Because, you know, you look at the coaches, a lot of the international sides have had a down the years, and you know, there's some supposedly, you know, elite world-class coaches, but you know <laughs> yeah put them in a different sort of area yeah um and it's so it's um yeah being in england setup was was during my career was really odd because it wasn't it, i never felt like it was the pinnacle of not all the sort of like lights and glory that you were kind of expected nothing 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 like that at all it was really weird mate it was it was odd because and it, again it sounds like i'm bad bad mouthing and i'm not deliberately it was just it was it is what it is it, that's how yeah. it was it wasn't it wasn't as um, it wasn't as grand as it's you, you might think it might think it was. Every, and also, it, 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 um, it, the blame can't all go one way. I mean, a lot of the players, myself very much included, I was happy. I was in my little comfort zone at Bath or wherever I was. I was, in, you know, you're happy with that environment because that's what every week. Yeah, because that's where you're at. And all of a sudden, you're taken out of that environment. So consequently, when you got to England, it was there was a lot of cliques. So the Leicester boys would go around over there, the Bath boys over there, the Wasps boys over right. there. So there wasn't. So there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of cliques, and it wasn't. And they, everyone had different ethos on training. Like Leicester would go absolute uh, their training sessions would go hell for leather and smash each other to pieces and you know other clubs wouldn't necessarily do that that yeah they had contact sessions but they wouldn't do it every single session yeah so it was different ways of believing you should be coached and all of a sudden you know when you're in one club environment generally speaking everyone's pulling the same way whereas when you get players in from different environments in, into that elite environment people have got hang on we do it this way at this club or we do it that way at that club and it's so it doesn't always seem to flow the same direction. No, that's fair enough. Um, but then 2009, you were picked in the autumn awesome intellectuals. Yeah, everyone got injured, including my mum. So there was no one right, else to pick. Okay. And they picked me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But either way, you were there. <laughs> I was there again, yeah. yeah. Um, New yeah. Zealand, Argentina, Australia. Yeah, Australia again, first game, then Argentina, and then New Zealand. So, uh, so did you start for all three of those? I came off the bench against Australia. Um Started against and then started against Australia. Uh, sorry, Argentina and New Zealand. So I, I had about twenty-five minutes against Australia, and then and to be fair, that was probably the best twenty-five minutes. I well, not to be fair, it was the tw- best twenty-five minutes of rugby I played um, internationally. It was just one of those games where everything went right. Yeah, I mean, although the first scr- I came on first scrum, and the I can't remember who the opposite guy was, uh, took the scrum down, and I got penalised and gave away three points first. Oh, my great. first um, England involvement for four years. And I gave away a penalty, even though I knew I didn't take it down. Um, but other than that, I probably had 10 or 11 ball carries. I yeah. um, bust the line a couple of times. I was just one of those where just it just all happened and played unbelievably well. Away. Yeah, and I got... And, quite rightly really looking back on it I got selected to start the weekend after 
against Argentina, which from and again from memory, uh, which is really bad, it hammered down, and it was just one of those where it was hard to play rugby and just didn't want to do it. It was just hard to play rugby because it was just hammering down, and um, Argentina are good at what they do, which is slowing things down and um, um, and beating everybody up. So it was a real dull game to play in, to be fair. And then played against the All Blacks the week after, which was were they the one ranked team at the time? Oh, mate, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. obviously, yeah. I mean, I, I said about um, one of the, the highlight of my career, winning the, the cup with with uh, Pontypridd, which was amazing. Yeah. But I had the, I don't remember anything about the New Zealand game, which is a big oh, regret. Right. But I just don't know. I don't know. I have too many bangers on the head. I don't know. Um, I just don't remember it, mate. I don't remember stuff. Genuinely have no record. I don't remember being in change rooms Whoa. before the games, during the games. Don't remember the games well, at that's all. That's a bit frustrated. Really frustrating again, mate. And especially with everything going on about the uh, the head injuries a lot of players have had in the past. Oh, I'm yeah, but it's quite scary, start- actually. Well, I'm starting to think, am I part of that group? Because... I don't remember. I, ju- I genuinely don't remember. Do you, do you remember much from the Australia Argentina games? No, I remember. But I re- I remember knowing. I, I I know that I was there. Were there? Yeah. But I remember. Well, no, I remember. Not remember. I know I had a good game against Australia, but I don't actually remember having a game. Does that make sense? Or yeah, what yeah, I yeah. did to have a good. I know, but I I know that I've had you, a good game. Yeah, you don't know why. I don't remember anything at all about Argentina. No recollection whatsoever. The one recollection I have about New Zealand was standing facing the hacker, which was... What was that like? Amazing. Was it really? Yeah, because I've always wanted to do it ever since I was a kid, you know, yeah, watching rugby course. special and seeing the great New Zealand sides. You know, I wouldn't even think Brook in, that, in the yeah. past. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, yeah, I wanted to play for Bath, but what I wanted to do was play for England and stand in front of the hacker with Zinzan Brook giving it giving it some welly and Tugamalo yeah, giving it the figures giving it the yeah and then all of a sudden I, I do remember I think watch that's the one bit I remember about the New Zealand game I don't remember the only other thing I remember about that game was uh, against Tony Woodcock who was my opposite number who was an unbelievable I think he's a record cap holder in, uh, as a prop for New Zealand an unbelievable player and I remember Got in, going into a scrum, and I deliberately took it down just to test a ref. And I got a penalty. Oh, really? I, got, oh, I got a penalty. I was like, "Yes!" Yeah. And um, and Tony, he was walking backwards away from the penalty, shaking his head, and I and I and I just winked at him like that, and he yeah, just and, 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 and he nodded think, like yeah. that. I remember him nodding, and that's the only other than the hacker. That's the only thing I remember the game. I don't remember anything else about it or anything. Um, uh, was it was it quite sort of like um, obviously? Let's, let's be fair. The hacker is there to sort of like probably like intimidate the other team really well i think it's thrown down the gauntlet supposedly but it, yeah, do, it does like intimidate yeah it does intimidate the opposite team and i loved it i because i remember watching it and thinking i have to remember this moment in in my head i was like, i have to remember that i've got to remember yeah. i've got to remember because you know because 25 years beforehand i was a little kid watching the telly going i want to i want to yeah. Be in front of that. I want to. I want to be part of that. And all of a sudden, it was twenty five years, thirty years later. I'm now that. I'm now that grown up. And the I'm thing now is with New Zealand it. as well is um, like every year England play Australia. Every year um, they play the Six Nations. Is it every four years they play New Zealand? Something, Something like? along those lines. Yeah. It's really. It's. It's, it's not very. Lo- not very. They don't play them very often. No. So like. To be fair, chances are like, you might not have that opportunity again. To... Well, I, I know I wouldn't, mate, because I was 34 uh, right, at the okay. time. 
when I played. So I knew that even if I was going to be part of the England setup for a couple, possibly another year or two, that it was going to be one of the last times I'd ever play internationally, but also it's almost certainly against New Zealand. And I didn't play again. Um, but but I, can, I can go down, I can, you know, the one good thing I have about, I mean, I, again, I'm, I, I am down on my career with England, and I, and I, I, sh- I should, it should have been better, but um, I can always look back at it and say, not that I remember it, but I played against New Zealand, and that's what I yeah, always. That's, 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 a, that's a big team. It's what I wanted to do, mate. I wanted yeah. to, I, you know, yeah, I, I would love to play against. I would love to play against Wales. Yeah, but if I was going to have to play against anyone. I want to play against the All Blacks, and I did it. And I can again, not that I can remember it, which is sad in itself, but I can, I can say that I've done it. I mean, I've never, I've never even watched a game back. I've never watched any of those games back. Any reason why? Yeah, um, not being, able, I suppose, not being able to record them. Yeah, but sure, you can find them. I don't know. Can you? I mean, I, to be fair, I have tried to find them on YouTube. So there are very, very for the New Zealand game, the one game I really want to watch. There is very limited. There's about three minutes of highlights on YouTube. Oh, is that it? There's nothing else. Yeah. yeah. So I could write to Sky. I could try and find someone at Sky. There's probably in the archive somewhere and try and get it. But I and I probably will eventually do that because I know Ethan, my boy, would probably like to watch it. And I, I, to be fair, I'd like to watch it now. Look, now that I'm. Um, after I retired, I got very bitter about things, and I even though I was old and I couldn't do it anymore, I was too fat. I got bitter about things about how my career had finished and how it had, um, and how it had not got to the heights I wanted it to get to. I think I've always been, and I'm still bitter to a degree about that. But now I'm far enough. I'm too old now to. I can't run. My knees are absolutely yeah. gone to pieces. I know I can't do it anymore. So I'm now in a position where I'm not even got a chip on my shoulder because I can't do it. I'm not physically good enough to do it. Anymore. Can't carry a chip. Can't, can't, can't <laughs> carry, that chip is bloody heavy, mate. I tell yeah. you. So I can probably look. I could probably do it now. I could probably go and find. Um, I, I, I could watch them. Like I watched the. Um, like I said, I watched the Pontypridd game against against um, the Nestle. I watched that, and I was I had proper goosebumps watching it. I, it wasn't the full. I would love to see the full game. It was highlights, about half an hour, forty minutes. Yeah, and I would love to have. Um, watch the whole game every now and again i get a little get tagged into a post on facebook someone's uploaded a um, a, a, pon, a full pont breathe game and i've watched a couple of them i'm like someone did it the other day a day um uh, johnny bryant who was the center at pont breathe uploaded one <clears throat> and it was us against um bridgend um in 2003 it was and i have absolutely zero recollection of the game like like not, not even a little bit of it um, you, so you it's like watching two a, years, wasn't it? You were there. Two years, brief. yeah. So yeah. it's like watching a, you know, I, I literally don't know who won. So I, I had no idea what the game was going to happen. If I had a good game, it's like, it's like watching somebody else. It's really odd because I don't remember any of it. In all fairness, it was seventeen years ago that yeah. you left. Yeah, upon a breathe. Yeah, it, was, it doesn't seem like that long ago. It, time goes quick, people. I tell you. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, really odd. You said you played under Morton Johnson. Yeah. What was that? Because he's obviously a great player, but... What I've always played against him, I've probably played God knows how many times against Jono. Of course, yeah. Like um, um, you know, When he's at Leicester. Yeah. So, um, played loads of time against him and an unbelievable competitor, obviously, and a great yeah. player. Um, great leader. Yes. And he was great at England. He got... Um, it was the first time I'd ever really spoken to him at that point because I never really spoke to him when on, I played against field, him because yeah. you don't. No. So I'd only ever been aware of what he said 
to the cameras and th- you know in the press and everything so actually having time to speak to him in that environment was really quite cool he's a lovely bloke um yeah. intense but great guy and had a lot of chats with him about things but he wasn't a coach and he didn't profess to be a coach he was the manager of the team he put people in place to coach so he got in my opinion, he got shafted a little bit of England at England because he was he, he ultimately he was a fool guy. So again, this is something that we spoke just before we started this. Yeah. But um, I think the public eye, he was England's coach. Yeah, he didn't do any coaching. No, he wasn't the coach. He he might have been his title might have been head coach or whatever it was, but he was. He quite literally did nothing. He uh, other it makes it sound like he did nothing. I don't mean yeah, he did but nothing. It wasn't but he, his job. Yeah, he he wasn't the coach. He was there to manage the players. He was there to manage the press, more importantly, and to manage, yeah. I suppose, up the chain, up the hierarchy at the RFU. He was there to. He was the main guy. Uh, a bit like Stuart Lancaster, to be honest. To be fair, Stuart Lancaster, when he became England coach, didn't do a lot of co- very little coaching. Uh, great manager, great mind for rugby, Stuart Lancaster. But didn't do a lot. Of, doing more now, I think. But at the time didn't do a lot of coaching. And and, and again with Jono, didn't do any coaching. Didn't do and, and the whole that those three games that I was involved with England um, over the Six Nations was the best part of five or six weeks. I, I don't think from memory he took one session. It was always John Wells, Wig, just Graham Roundtree, Brian Smith, specific yeah. coaches. Yeah, yeah. Um, In all fairness, like when you said like you know, like to manage the press. The worst thing you could ever do would be to say, "Well, no, that's not my job." Like you can't yeah, sort of. Yeah, he couldn't. He probably couldn't have said that. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like so, but it might have been better if he if it had been set out at the start. Because I remember at the start when he got the job, there were a number of eyebrows raised because he hadn't coached before. So it was all of a sudden, Jono's going to be coach of England, having never coached in the club game, right in the deep end. Yeah, so it should have probably should have been. Word maybe it was. I don't. I don't remember it. But maybe if it had been said, like this guy is going to be the manager of England, and these guys are going to be the coaches, that might have been. Better. Maybe it was done. I don't know. But it was like you said. The the public um, opinion was that he was the coach, and he was yeah, anything but the public. Like the mm. perception that mm. to everyone else, yeah, he was. Um, yeah, and I still thought that up until up until then. Yeah, yeah up until yeah. an hour ago. Yeah. Um, Retirement 2012. Wow, was it retirement? Well, first retirement. <laughs> yeah. Um, like well, a punch what, drunk boxer. Uh, what, why did you decide to call it a day? Too fat and too old, mate. Okay. Uh, I, and again, I was tired. Um, so I got, i be honest, I also got stitched up. So I, uh, right. I qualified as a... Uh, so I had a really bad knee injury in 2006 that kept me out for about 18 months. I thought my time was up, actually. Luckily, I got back. Um and I suddenly struggled with, you know, what am I going to do after rugby? So uh, I qualified as a mortgage advisor randomly, uh, okay, which, cool. I, which I'm still doing now and yeah, really yeah. enjoy it. And and that was my way out of rugby. So in 2012, I got a job lined up for when I retired at Bath. Bath were moving in a different direction. I was old, I was 37. And I didn't want to if i'm honest i didn't want to approach the club for another contract because in case they said no and you didn't want to sort of be let down and i didn't want because that would have been a real kick in the bollocks so because i had a and it would have been because i had a job lined up i thought a perfect opportunity and that's my retirement it would leave it would mean there wouldn't be that uncomfortable conversation because i wasn't they were still getting first team picks though yep 
didn't have as many. In my last year, I probably only played about 10 games. So I wasn't, I didn't play many games. So um, I was on my way out. I knew it. And I was, I'm, I wasn't interested. I'll be honest. It, I played a long time. I was 37. My love for rugby, I'll be honest, was waning very thin at that point. And right. I was tired, mate. That's a long time to be playing top level rugby. And I played. For 94, for yeah. Harlequins up until. Yeah. 2012 yeah yeah that's it's a long time it's 18 years yeah so a lot of rugby and a lot of training sessions and a lot of a lot of battering, bashing, a lot of battering a lot of bashing heads a lot of yeah. tin being lifted in a, in a weights room yeah you, the thing is you have to in a sport like rugby you need to be careful about your head yeah and i was and i was struggling anyway um and but i just and i was i had a number of mental um health issues over the course of my career and got the job I got the job lined up so I knew look I didn't have to, there was no uncomfortable conversation with Bath I could retire on my own terms happy days which every player wants to do yeah I had a job lined up and and unfortunately I was going through a divorce at the end of my career as well the very last year of my career and um and then and quite literally the week my last week of my contract at Bath that I was starting a job the week later um the company I was working for uh phoned me up and said sorry we can't take you on I was like and so ha- having been involved with what, com- outside of rugby yeah yeah the, as a mortgage advisor yeah, so, yeah. so um bearing in mind I'm at this point I'm now living on my brother's sofa and, oh, right. and I'm walked away from my career at, what with, due to the divorce or yeah and I literally had no money in the bank because of it um I was like, oh shit, what am I going to do? And, you know, I'd gone from 18 years of having contracts. I was like, you have a contract, you honor it. So I was like, hang on a minute, I've signed a contract. And the very words that came down the other end of the phone were, good luck with that. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, I'll see you in court. Well, good luck, mate. We can get rid of you at any point in, in employment law, apparently, in the first two years. You don't need any excuse to get rid of someone. No, you don't. Yeah. So, and I wasn't used to that because I've been, I've been a sportsman. So you have a contract. You that is, that that is, is the, that's every, a every contract. Point, yeah. you, you, you can't get out of that. So uh, at that point, I was like, oh, fuck. You know, I have no money. I'm divorced. I'm living on a sofa and I've now got no job. So that was hard yeah, mentally, yeah, yeah. and and also um, I had a <laughs> oh, the irony, I had a um, a contract a proposal from Sale to go and play rugby and sell, but I was you know getting divorced, and it was good money, um, but I didn't want to go up there because say, did you want to uh, really travel that way? Uh, travel kids uh, exactly, now. exactly away from my kids, getting yeah. divorced, and um, you know it was it was. So I was like, do you know what? I know I've got this job lined up, this job that I thought was going to be for life. So I turned all these offers down to be like part player, part coaches. And I didn't really want to coach, but I thought, well, I'm going to have to do anything um, to get some money. And um, and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, I've got, no, there's nothing. There's no, 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 there's no job anywhere. And, yeah. uh, and so it was, that was a particularly dark time in my life uh, because I had uh, quite literally nothing. Um, so managed to scrape through it all um, and then get a job where I am even to this day. So I signed, signed is the wrong word. <laughs> but, you know, I started working. Transferred. <laughs> <laughs> got bought. Yeah. Uh, Chartwell funding where I'm working now. Uh um and when was it 2014 so february the 4th 2000 i don't know why i remember that but i do yeah. february the 4th 2014 so it took me in two years to um or 18 months certainly of of no real job 
to getting the job I'm in now to and it's only in the last you know two or three years financially got myself back on my feet again it took me not me for six badly retiring from rugby and it was um uh you know I had a really bad time of it after rugby and I know a lot of players and I work with the RPA now quite often and yeah a lot of players are struggling mentally financially with retiring from rugby and and I know how hard it is because I live for it. I have to live through it, and it's it's fucking horrendous, mate. Yeah. Going from that transition and being told what to do, a bit like the military, being told how I to jump for eighteen years of your life. All of a sudden, it's like right off you go. Yeah, like you said, you are doing quite a bit with like sort of mental health and things because you did suffer with a bit of depression. Yeah, quite a lot actually. Uh, well, that didn't help. Retiring, uh, yeah. divorce didn't help. Having no money didn't help. Um, but yeah, I yeah, like. Um, like a lot of people, you know, a lot of people, even to this day, but also, you know, five years ago plus, you know, de- depression was a, uh, you know, you didn't talk about that, mate. No, no, one, no I, I, I think, especially for men. Yeah, you wouldn't talk about it. And also, it was like, well, it's not a real thing, is it? It's made up by weak people. That's what I, that's what I viewed. And I, and I kind of thought that, you know, way back when, you know, people with depression, I ain't got that. Yeah, yeah, fucking smile. Come on, mate. And uh, I I did suffer badly from it, badly from it, when I retired and, uh, you know, during my divorce. And in the the last few years of my career, I think I really struggled with it because I was just, you know, it's hard when you're kind of at the top and all of a sudden you're not there anymore. And it's like your body's giving up on you. Uh, yeah. it's, it's your mind still wants to do it you still you think you can do it and it's, it's hard that you can't and that's a real kick in the balls and but then I look back at during my life and at episodes in my life where like I said to you before I've always lacked that confidence and um and always I always was a little bit uncomfortable in my own skin and I was worried about oh I don't think I'm good enough to be here um oh and I would psychoanalyze games and I'd look at it and go oh, fuck, I didn't make that tackle or oh, I should have done better there. It was always glass half is half full rather than yeah. half. Oh, I could have done that. Oh, I yeah. should have done that. I should have Instead of there. what I did there was really good. Oh, yeah. I did that well. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I never did that. Oh, it was always the way around. So it was. So I was constantly down on myself, and it didn't help. I know you said before and we could swear, but I am about to drop the C bomb here. But Do every every, every coach I've ever had, I was always the fat cunt, and right. it was like belly or fat cunt, go and do some extra laps. Belly or fat cunt. Go and do some extra fitness. Which doesn't—that's not hearing, uh, hearing that constantly. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it does get you down. At the, at the start of it, I, the, the start of my career, I was like, "Well, no one's ever called me a fat cunt before." Yeah, and that's really bad. I don't, I don't like that. And then it just became the norm. So it's like when you're constantly being told you shit. Um, it. Whereas I kind of laughed it off, um, and. Yeah, but when you uh, hear it over and over and yeah, over again, yeah, and and it, and I and I, yeah, and it was, I and I do look back at some of the training and stuff, and some of the way that a lot of people, not just myself, but were treated. It was there was very little positivity in training. How heavy were you? At my heaviest, about one hundred and thirty five, one hundred and thirty six. Uh, no, Ooh, I've had a heavy Christmas, mate. Okay, so pre Christmas, pre Christmas. Oh, I, I'm probably weighing about one hundred and twenty four now. 123 i got down to i lost a lot of weight i got down to about 106 kilos yeah um what, what is your ideal weight i'd mean? love to be back at about 110 yeah 
Um, I was in good neck, a good nick then, and I, I know I could do. It. Maybe we had this, we've had this conversation off off mic and me about dieting and stuff. Yeah, weight loss is when, when I'm when I'm on it, I'm on it, and I can lose weight quite easily as long as I'm disciplined to do it. But it's just about like, having the discipline to do it. Um, I love the jujitsu and 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 I, I still I love. I love training uh, in so much when I enjoy it. So I love jujitsu. I love doing circuits and stuff like that. Um, I don't enjoy mindless crap. Um, I think let's just go back to like you being. Yeah, I, I and I, I texted you the other day. I said about weigh yourself every day. And if, yeah, yeah. When you weigh yourself every day, I don't know if it's because I don't. Mine couldn't at first, but then even if it's like one day you'll be there, and then you might go up by point one of a pound. It's like fucking hell. Right next yeah. tomorrow it's going to be better. Yeah, and then you go down by point one. And you're like, fucking right. And then all of a sudden it's 0.3. And it's like, get in. Yeah. And every day, that's why, personally, I'd rather weigh myself every day because you can monitor it. And even if you have a bender, like go out on a level, of, well, not now, but you might have a load of beers and a pizza and you wake up the next day and you're half a kilo heavier. But that's just one off. And all of a sudden you weigh well, you do why as well. <clears throat> Whereas before, so what I, where the weight has crept on, I went to France about three years ago. And I all of a sudden I, I didn't start monitoring my eating or, or exercising, and all of a sudden I discovered French bread again, oh, okay, and pate right. and cheese and red wine. I got smashed every night, and I didn't. And when I got back from that, I didn't monitor it again, and, and I thought I could do it myself without monitoring stuff. And it just the weight slowly increased, and all of a sudden I woke up one day without weighing myself. I haven't weighed myself for God knows. And all of a sudden I'm like 120 kilos again. Yeah. So <clears throat> I will do it. I will get back on it. But um, so I I, I started doing that keto diet. Like low or no carbs, yeah. Um, I think over two months I lost over a stone with it. You can do it's, it, it, yeah. it. It's just I love chocolate. I love bread, and I love beer. And that's all the things with a keto diet. You're not you're yeah. not meant to have. But I think it's just about. Uh, I remember watching Ricky Gervais um, talk once, and he's it's very simple, but it's also very true. Um, the body is almost like um it's a it's constantly in balance with itself if you have a you have a certain amount of calorie a body can take yeah. if you take too many calories in you put weight on if you don't eat enough calories you lose weight and it is kind of that simple so if you the way i've lost weight in the past is one obviously exercising and jiu-jitsu helps which i absolutely adore um but if i monitor what i eat and i have a, a set a level for my calorific intake for the day and if i monitor everything i eat and i hit that calories i know i'll lose weight because that um the thing you emailed me yesterday that's, that's got all the barcodes you can scan yeah so. for my fitness pal yeah yeah so you could it's brilliant mate and uh, yeah my fitness pal is the reason why i lost 30 kilos in a matter of a few months well maybe maybe it took a year in total but i lost 30 kilos in in about a year um, was because I used my fitness pal. I used to I used to be anal about what. So if I if even if I made a stir fry, I'd weigh out the onion. I'd weigh out the carrots and the cabbage and the chicken. I'd weigh it all out and be really really anal about it. And where I'm where I'm if I'm not that anal, um, and I don't do as much measuring. That's when it kind of goes out the window. And then that's when I put on, put on weight. Like I said to you on the other day, it's a, I made the rule in and all out all out. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a bit like that with the diet, a bit like that with jiu-jitsu. I'm all in and I, <laughs> I love it. And then it's just, yeah, yeah. Uh, and everything, everything I do. So, um, Wait, when did you first start jiu-jitsu? March 9th, 
Yeah, March 19. We're in 21 now, aren't we? But you did do some training with Salvo, didn't you, Professor yeah, Salvo? Yeah, so Professor Salvo came in at Bath in about 2009 so, or 2008. What, maybe. so he just approached the club in 2007. Or? It was around that sort of time, but he'd just come over, I think. Okay. Um, and he was just starting. A, he was a one-man band, I remember. He was about to start a school or wanted to start a Gracie Barra school. And he'd just come over and he, and he approached the club to try and train the boy really were gra- boys were grappling so the injured boys or some of the boys that wanted to do it would do it and i was like yeah i'm, I'm, yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll yeah. I'm a bit of that and he got us all the geese so okay. that was my first gee i bought through salvo still, you still have it or not? still got it mate oh yeah yeah still nice. got it, yeah. fit yeah it was actually big i think it's an a5 i wish i went an a4 yeah so it's a bit too big but it's good <clears throat> and um uh uh, yeah, he so he came over and he's training the boys, and it there were extra sessions. And I said, yeah, I definitely do. I'd like to do the yeah, grappling. Definitely. So Matt Stevens, remember Matt Stevens? He used to play for England and yeah, yeah. likes a sing song. <laughs> um, he was doing it. He ended up being, I think he's a purple belt now, but he although he's given up, but he was yeah. he when he was a blue belt, he was he lost in the world championship final. Oh, okay. In the ultra heavy, so he was legit good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so did he like continue training with Salvo then? No. So he oh. was, he only did it. That, this is what I regret because I wish I continued doing it because one, I'd be a black belt by now. But, but, but also, would Bath let you? So they were really, I remember in the sessions that we were really, they were really worried because. What Gra- the club were about? And Salvo. Because uh-huh. he didn't, one, he didn't, he, you know, if he injured anyone and he was going to be in. He'd be on the chopping of, block. Yeah, he'd be on a chopping block. But also the boys didn't want to get injured. And also yeah, a lot of the boys were coming back from injury. So a bit, a little bit... Um, they would del- have to go back to square one. Exactly. And, um, but also jiu-jitsu is about... Uh, there's a lot of locks and, yeah. you know, and uh, and chokes and things like that. So, yeah, we, we're, we were supposedly you know, <laughs> professional athletes, you know, pinnacle of our sport and getting getting our arms snapped off which yeah, wouldn't go, would, like, yeah, yeah. yeah wouldn't have gone down very well but so he was really worried about so I know Salvo was really worried about showing us you know especially arm locks and things like yeah. that because you know having snapped I guess if foot locks were out of the question oh yeah mate no 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 yeah no. not out but it was more to do with grappling and more to do with wrestling, I suppose, than anything. But it was great. You know, Matt Steen was in it. Butch James, remember Butch James? Yeah. Uh, who else did it? David Flatman did it. David Barnes, who so was another There's a good select few. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, quite a few of us did it. There was probably, um, at most, there was probably 12 or 15 of us. So it's a, quite a lot of us. We used to go in uh, um, Fitness First in Bath. We used to put the mats out. We used to um, train there. So this is even before he had his own school? Yeah, he didn't like, have a school. He didn't have a school. He was, I think he was starting to try and start the get school. Get members up. Yeah, so yeah. I think just after that he started because it kind of stopped. Um, I think maybe the season ended and he wasn't, he didn't come back the next season and we all kind of forgot about it because uh, we're right. training every day and we can forget about it. But I, re- but I regret not being more positive, not positive, more proactive about it and, and, and following him because it, I just, mate, I, Absolutely love it. One of my really good mates, um, a guy called Aaron Jarvis, who's a prop at the Dragons at the moment. I play with Jarv at Bath. He was a young kid. He's six, seven years younger than me. No, he's more than that, nearly 10 years younger. And But a real good guy. And um, he was talking to me about when I started Jiu-Jitsu. And he goes, what's it like? I said, mate, 
Amazing. It'll it change your life. Yeah, uh, it does. I, it does change your life. My whole wardrobe now is jiu-jitsu based. It's all yeah, Gracie yeah. Barrett. Um, and I said, honestly, mate, I wish I'd continue doing this as a player. And he goes, well, I can't do it because they won't let me. I don't get that. Yeah. I said, but get, if your kids want to do something, get them into it, mate. So his kids now are... This is definitely something my kids will do. That's what I want my kids to do. It. Yeah. Um, but he's got his kids doing it. They've just gone up a belt. Nice. I think they've got the grey. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're only young. They're only six, seven, eight years of age. Not very old at all. And he's loving it. He's like, you know, obviously I want to play as long as I can. As soon as I retire, I'm starting doing it he's yeah. he's now got he's got is he similar age no he's about 36 i think 35 okay, yeah. if he's still playing but he's yeah. at the end of his career um he'll probably get one more contract and maybe call it a day well i don't know but he hopefully go, he wants to play as long as he can he's still doing well enough he's in a, he's a welsh international he's a good player yeah, yeah. but um he said that you know he's going to do it as soon as he can he'll be able to, he'll be doing it and uh um yeah he's for instance he's he's got grappler's guide. So he's watching YouTube videos and grappler's guide. And he's, uh, he does things with his kids. So just little things. So he's buzzing to do it. Um, so I spoke, and I, he phoned me the other day and, uh, just before uh, new year, new year's Eve, I think it was, uh, and saying how much he, he, he loves what and he's he watches all the matches on YouTube. He watches the jujitsu matches, so he's yeah. he's meant he's really all like the ADCCs. And the yeah, he's he's really he really wants to do it. And um, do you watch much of it on YouTube? No, I don't watch many of the matches. So I, I watch um, like some instructionals or I watch yeah in, instructional videos like Night Jujitsu. I like okay. um, he's really good. Um, there's the the purple ninja purple belt ninja oh, sure. uh, he's he's pretty good he's a bit full of himself but he's pretty good do you ever watch that jitsu guy no no he's pretty good it, it, it's more sort of like um, just questions and answers oh, like right, people okay. just send him in questions and he'll just sort of like uh, answer them on YouTube mm. he's pretty good um, mate Night Jiu-Jitsu is good he's got yeah. an Instagram and a, a TikTok and a Facebook and he's really good he's got some of his videos are really really cool um uh no, actually, we, you know how much we all love it here. And, yeah. Um, I'm really pleased I've got it, Jiu-Jitsu, because I don't know what... Because I had... When I retired, although I did come back for the Dragons, after that, I had nothing. Because yeah. I had... I, well, I was doing a bit of coaching, but that, that soon went because it was t- taking too much toll on my family and the time away. And so I had... No, I literally had nothing. So I, I didn't have any sport... Um, which is for the first time in my life. Yeah. You know, I'm a 30, late, sorry, I'm in my 40s. And for the first time in 40 years, not having no sport, no competitive. And it was, that was hard. So finding jujitsu, although it found me yeah, um, yeah. through a Facebook post, um, has made me, even my missus says, oh, you're a much Karma bloke around the house. I think I was just, I was hating, not hating life, that's not the wrong thing to say, but, you know, because I didn't have that, you know, Saturday night or Friday night lights or Saturday yeah, afternoon. Yeah, that little side. Yeah. That you just... All of a sudden, now I do have it. And she, and Katie, who's really supported, knows that and understands that. So whenever I say, oh, any chance I could do jiu it's six o'clock, six to seven, absolutely fine. Just be back to put Xander to bed. Yeah, yeah, just... yeah go. <clears throat> Yeah, so she's she's really she's keen for it and very supportive and very fit and I'm punching above my weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, she's supportive. So um, and as long as I don't get too injured, um, it's fine. Uh, although I did get my arm ripped off <laughs> about a year ago. Yeah, 
Because <laughs> um, you only trained for like three months before you went to the British Open, right? Yeah. I won. Yeah. That was interesting because I wasn't meant to, I wasn't going to go. Okay. And then I remember signing up to it. Um, <clears throat> um, Antonio actually said to me, mate, you need do, to it. do it. And I was like, okay, mate, I'll do it. So I paid my 20 quid, whatever it was. And then I forgot about it. And then the day of the um, competition, or maybe the day before, I think it was the day, I was in the eight and someone said, you going up? I thought, for what? What, sort of for the school? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember who it was. And it was in the Yates Centre. And um, you going up? I was like, what? What, for the um, British Open? I was like, oh, yeah, forgot about that. And I'd had a day off anyway. So I was like, oh, I should do it. I, didn't, I hadn't told Katie. So I, I wasn't, I'd completely forgotten about it. I wasn't going to tell her. Because I, I, really, I wasn't really that bothered about doing it. And I, it was only on the day I was like, oh, I've got a day off. Yeah, She's not? at work and... All right then. So I got my gi, went up and won it. <laughs> nice. But it was, um, yeah, that was. It's, was that the first competition you did? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So it was, and I, I was just kind of it's like on the mats, doing a session here at the school, we do a technique or we do yeah. an open mat or whatever it is. And we all know each other. We know we're going to hurt each other. We're going to no. roll and. Yeah, you know, yeah, we might choke each other out or arm lock us or whatever yeah, it might be. But tap tap, but get off. No one's going to snap each other's arms off here. Uh, well, you'd hope not. Certainly not deliberately. But in a competition, all of a sudden, someone is trying to rip your head off. Yeah. So, whereas playing rugby, got four hundred odd games or whatever it was in my career, how long it was. But if someone whacked you in the face, you had fourteen blokes behind you knew that someone's going to—they're going to whack them back. Yeah. So it didn't really matter. So you're never really going to get hurt on a rugby field in that way because you're not going to get beaten up. Yeah, you might come off sore or whatever it might be, but no one's—if someone's going to whack you, you know, fourteen blokes have got you back. Whereas in a competition, you step onto the mat against another bloke who is trying to take your head off. It's yeah. like, oh my god, this is frightening. This is like. Like a bar brawl, you know, you're in a... You're oh, in a I was going to say, sort of, like, how was, how does it compare stepping up to Twickenham? Or, oh, like, man, you know, or I Prince Ballet, you know, because you said that was a bit of a bigger thing. I was always then. a nervous player, right? So, uh, before again, I get really nervous. You know, I don't want to let anyone down. I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to make myself look like an idiot, frankly. Um, maybe that's not the right site to go into a <laughs> yeah. game for, but that's how I used to think. And... Um, but I knew that people have my back, you know, so I was, I was nervous, but I... Like, like you said, you got... Get on with it. Like 15 professional athletes, big professional yeah. athletes behind you. Yeah, willing to step in front of a, quite a bit of a cliche, but take a bullet for you, you know, that, that, yeah. that sort of thing. Whereas all of a sudden you're on the mats and it's like, no, this is like, I can imagine... It's I, just me now. Yeah, it's like being in a cage with a, with yeah. MMA. It's like, whoa, this is someone's trying to kill you here. Yeah. And it's kind of like, although they're not punching you in jiu-jitsu, so they are literally trying to choke you to sleep or yeah. they're trying to snap your arm off or snap your leg. They're trying to make you give up, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I would never get to, if I'm going to um, get choked out, I am tapping before I go to sleep. And if someone's tr um, snapping my arm off, I am tapping before I've, of course. I, because I've got to go work tomorrow and I'm not Yeah, you've still got to, Money, so if I lose, I lose. I don't want to lose, but if I lose, I lose. So stepping on into that onto the mats in that first competition, which I remember very well, and against a guy called Nick Witz, who's yeah. a, a Gracie Barrow in Chip, and I'm okay. now Facebook friends. Talk to him quite regularly. That's cool. And lovely bloke lifts a lot of weights and very uh, strong, and he's bigger than I am. You know, he's six foot five, and oh, he's probably really? the same sort of weight, much better Nick than I'm in. Um, and I was like. Flipping out, this is scary. You know, running onto the field at Twickenham, get a bit nervous, and it's like, oh. but as soon as you make your tackle, you're like, all right. But um, 
I was petrified. And I mean really? this, I was physically shaking in that first What is, is that just because, like we said, you're on your own, or is it because it was the Britishest, like you do a big competition, or? Well, it was a bit of all that, but it was, it was more the fact that there was a bloke on the opposite side of me trying to... Trying kill to... You. Yeah, <laughs> for want of a better expression. Yeah, yeah just trying to kill you. And, you know, I was... We, we, we're both... Um, we're both big old men, I suppose, and, you know, both strong and... Um, and we hadn't had a lot of months of training behind us either, if Nick or I. Is he still training? Um, I think Chip and I are still closed. Oh yeah, I think they are. You know, so I think they're uh, I think they're struggling over in in Chippenham, um, which is sad because of I, course cause, it is because I think Nick loves it as much as I do, and it's, if he can't train, he can't train. It's a big, but he he lifts a lot of weight, so I think he gets his buzz yeah, out. Right, okay. he's, very, he's very strong. Okay. And so I didn't really know what to expect in that first competition. And he, Nick, is a brute man. If you ever, he's big bloke, very strong. And I know I won. Yeah. And if you look at the points, I it looked on points like I absolutely dominated him. But if he actually, I've got the video at home. Yeah, yeah. And I don't really do much. My, if I'm honest. Um, but what? I remember fighting him and coming off at the end, mate. One, I was shitting bricks. Yeah. And it was complete fluke that I got the takedown first. It was only because he went rah, 100 miles an hour, oh, tried to push right. me down. And I managed to offset his balance. Just move out the way, basically. I basically move out the way. End up on top of him. I was like, and I, it was pure fear. The rest of the next six minutes, were, I cannot let him back up. That's all yeah, I kept, not, yeah. I wasn't thinking I've got to choke him out or, or get him into an, any sort of lock. I cannot let him up. He's so strong. If I let him up, I am done for. Yeah. So I was like, I've got... So the whole... If you watch the video, which I'll show you another time, it's the most boring fight you've ever seen in your entire life. It's just two fat men <laughs> rolling around on a field, on the floor. And I just stay on top of him, basically, for six minutes. And I think I won about... I think it was 14. I did mount him 14. a couple of... I think I mounted him two or three times. Because when I... My first jiu-jitsu match was... Um, I want to say the Somerset Open. I'm sure it was a Somerset. Because mm. I've done the Somerset and the Cheltenham. I'm sure the Cheltenham was after. Yeah. Yeah, so I did the Somerset first. Um, and I was actually really calm. Really? Yeah. And, like, I, I, I totally can't see. I was there, this little, like, warm-up area. So I was in there, I was just, like, sort of uh, just jumping around, just doing a few little, just extra, just to get, my, yeah. just warm up, basically, a little bit. And, uh... I remember Antonio came over to me. He was right, Henry. Are you ready? I was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. And he was like, No, like, really? Are you ready? I was like, Antonio, I am fine. <laughs> like, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah. And uh, I, I seen the guy, and um, he must have like just made it into this weight category because he was quite a bit smaller than me. Although I'm right. like right, like, yeah, probably over the limit. <laughs> um, if there was one, so I was doing some um, like one to ones with Coach Steve. My, my one of my favorite ways to take someone down, which I've been told, like you know, don't do it. Yeah, not that it's, it's dangerous. It's just not the right way. Is um, arm over the top. Yeah, um, grab their belt and then just kind of just trip them down. Yeah, stick your leg out, trip them yeah. over, and I basically just landed on the guy, <laughs> which probably I'm surprised didn't kill him. Um, <laughs> That's what happened in mine, mate. I just landed yeah. on top. And the thing is, like I'm like 25 and a half stone. Yeah, probably more back then. And I thought. If he gets, I'm, I'm rubbish off my back. Yeah, That's all so I ever want to train now. Yeah, I'm just like a turtle on his shell. Yeah, I can't do anything. I'm the same as well. And uh, so I thought, right, I kind of just like looking at the points. I thought, right, if I do this and do this, if I go like psycho troll to mount back the psycho troll, yeah. I could just rack up the points. And I sort of got in a position where I like tried to Americana him, but my elbow wasn't to, on the side of his head. Yeah, it was still just over his head, and I 
afterwards I thought fuck's sake I remember what Coach Steve told me just like the elbow has to be yeah, yeah, yeah. on that side yeah. like, on, on against his yeah, face basically so um, I thought right never mind can't do that that's, that's not working um, and I kind of looked at the thing and then as I, as I looked at the points and the clock he swept me <laughs> and uh, I looked again and it was like 20 seconds left I just looked at him and smiled <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was cheeky, but yeah, I tell you what, that was just such a great feeling for me. Yeah, it was for me as well. When I when I won that first match against Nick, although it was pure fear, the fact I won, I was like, I felt a massive sense of achievement. He, you, I, you would, yeah, yeah, because I, um, I felt I felt ba- really bad for him because it did it because the points wise, it looked way worse than it actually was. Um, and we, you know, he, we, I, I think a friend requested him on. Uh, facebook afterwards and said you know you know good match and everything because i don't think he fought a, another match and he was i saw his facebook post and he said he was really disappointed to let people down i said mate you haven't let people down you've still still done it still mate, you've, mate, you've stepped on a mat where thousands of other people haven't done it yeah and it was just and i and i still mean this to this day uh you know i was just it was just really lucky that i that i took him down because i just managed to stay oh i'm a big heavy bloke and i just managed yeah. to stay on top of him um and I got the win because of that. If it had been the other way around, he would have won. Man, I wouldn't be able to get him off. He was so strong. And it Mate, was just... so, so my match like, lasted the full six minutes. Mm. And I could not breathe afterwards. I was I was shaking like a shitting dog at the Mate, end of the I, 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 they, they called me up literally two minutes after. Like two, three minutes after. Yeah. I was like, me, I don't have time to have a drink or nothing. Yeah. Same so here. the second guy that I went up against... Uh, was a guy called Tyler who I have sort of like you know friends on Facebook and yeah. he's, he's a cool guy um, those are a few people that I know um, and I remember um, just just being in that same position just like arm over the shoulder hold his belt mm. and I thought this guy is not moving me I'm just going to stand there and yeah. get my breath back and when I'm ready I'll take him down <laughs> yeah. and I think we ended up just taking each other down right um and then I kind of like rolled out of the way and I got this on video and uh, he he mentioned it to me as well actually when I next seen him that he just like come running up to me like just trying to sort of like then get on top of me I was on my knees yeah, yeah. and I just stuck my arms out <laughs> just to stop him and he literally looked like he ran into a brick wall <laughs> and if you look like I, a cartoon yeah it's just literally <laughs> just like bang like you're not moving um and I do, he actually hurt his foot or his, like, his ankle quite bad. Cause, oh, okay. Yeah, because you look at the video and uh, his foot just bends right back. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then I managed to get on top of him. But where I'd sort of like taken him down, like stuck my arms out to stop him from moving and just like crawled over to him, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> like, that is all I've got. Yeah, I was so t- I remember after fighting Nick in that match I was so tired and then like yeah I was like two I think there was another match I was six minutes left no I was no I was the second match so um they had a two or three minute break and then I was straight into the final against the other guy and to be fair that guy was um technically quite good but just wasn't anywhere near it so I dominate I choked him out but yeah, in the yeah. final but I was done in the in the in the final I just had to uh uh, just Nick had taken it out of me. So, and the, I know they talk about it in the UFC a lot about the um, adrenaline dump, and that was the first time I'd ever had that experience of the adrenaline dump. I was so like I was physically shaking. Yeah, yeah. In the, in that fight in that fight with Nick, that 
I had no any, I felt like I had no even though I was on top I ended up luckily being on top of him I just and I panicked I was like god keep him down yeah. I felt like I had no energy it's really weird um, and that's the only time I, in, in competitions I still get that because I fought the, the Somerset and the Cheltenham both of which again I won um, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, just, I just mentioned that I'll, I'll pick that off the floor um, one is a white belt one is a blue stop it and um, uh, uh, but I still had that still that fight or flight um, fear which I don't get when I'm training in my comfort zone um, that's because it is your comfort zone yeah but I, I, mean, I, I, I if, if anyone listens to this and they're thinking about uh, something else to do I would 100% recommend Jiu-Jitsu I think it's brilliant really? one the, the, oh mate it's incredible it's, it's, it's you know I I absolutely love it I mean I, and, and I know you do and a lot of guys at the school um, school do it is there is something really really amazing about watching another man in front of you being choked to sleep no i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> but it's just it's just the camaraderie you have isn't it and uh, you know we're all here to to help each other we're all mates now yeah yeah you know and it's it's great you know rolling around on the mats with big sweaty men we all love that i'm game <laughs> a couple times a week why not um but mate it's a long time, that, isn't it? I've, I've oh, talked to you for Yeah, sorry, mate. Ne- nearly three hours in. So, uh, sorry, mate. No, mate, thank you very much, Duncan. We'll finish there and hopefully do it again sometime. Do it again, mate. But um, see you on the mat. Nice one. Thank you, Duncan. Appreciate Cheers, it, man. Cheers, mate.